Hello, everybody. Apparently, I didn't take off my uh, previous title. Hello, I'm your host. I'm Nerd Slayer. Welcome to the Six Pixels Under podcast. This is episode 12, and I hope we never get to the point where I start to forget the episodes because I'm prone to forget things. Um, I'm still remembering. It, this is episode 12, and on this week's episode, we will be talking about... Was that you again? Yeah. What's up, Goosey? You always time it right as I'm doing my intro. Thank you for the bit donation. And this week we'll be talking about, of course, a couple of things. We have to address the recent, or I should say the more so recent, uh, Fallout 76 news. Then, of course, I wanted to briefly mention Smash Bros. Ultimate, which is set to launch in two weeks or so, right? Next month in December. That's likely going to be the next mega hit. It's looking like it. There's already been reports, of course, that it's the best pre-selling Smash Bros. game, which is already a feat in itself. So that's going to be an interesting topic to see kind of unfold. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. Of course, we're going to also talk about DayZ and how it's, you know, five years later and they finally are entering a beta, which is certainly interesting. And that in itself is, um, there's a lot to talk about in that regard. I think there's a lot of interesting discussions we can have. For example, if it was actually really, really good, and I don't know yet, I haven't played the most recent one. I played the original, you know, ad nauseum, but I haven't played the most uh, recent version, the beta version. But if it was good enough, could we forget all of that? Could we forget the last five years? Could we forget the whole rocket thing and all of that stuff, right? So that'll be interesting to talk about. And then, of course, we'll have our uh, MMOs on the go segment where we talk about all things um, that I find interesting in the world of MMOs. For example, uh, Le- Legends of Aria which is a you know sandbox free open or just recently sorry had its sandbox free open beta I, I don't know why i wrote it that way so ignore the sandbox part just think it just recently had its free open beta but uh legends of aria of course uh very much similar to uo ultima online in some ways i can see runescape comparisons a couple of us uh in the community in our discord have formed a guild and started playing it we enjoyed the beta enough to at least attempt the launch which is actually tomorrow the head start launch is tomorrow but i'll talk about that more so later but if you want an opportunity to play an mmo with somebody with a group of people if you're bored if you have no other mmos to, uh, to play and you have uh 30 <laughs> lying around and you'd rather get hours of enjoyment out of it uh we could talk about that later because uh, we want to form a guild it'll be fun it'll, i think it'll be the first time we've tried that so far to form a guild in an MMO that's recently launched or soon to launch and uh, attempt to do a, uh, I don't know, just some guild activities and, and have a good time, that sort of stuff. During the Soapbox segment, we're going to be talking about uh, Robocost, who is another YouTuber who does um, post-mortems on different MMOs and multiplayer games. And specifically, he did one recently, a couple of days ago, about APB. And somebody in my Discord... Um, Sorry, I, I want to read who it was so I don't forget which one of you brought this topic up. Was it... It's not... No, it's not Destroyer Archer. Not... Okay, it was uh, Dynamics BRD brought this up. Some people, of you know, I guess I would say the loyalist fans of APB or maybe the little bit more um, inquisitive fans are not so happy about this recent APB video that Robocost did. So I wanted to talk about that, and I took the time uh, off screen, you know, before the podcast started, unlike last time, to actually go through and analyze bit by bit by bit. So this time we don't have to sit through, you know, a ten minute video or whatever it is. We can just skip through parts 
and uh, I'll have the breakdown for you guys. This is something that I want to do, I think, more often. We, uh, we as gamers, we need to do a better job of explaining how analysis works and what analysis is. I feel like at this point, it's basically a buzzword, and that's in some part my fault, in some part our fault as content creators, and of course, us as a community. But let's just launch into our first segment, of course, which is discussing some current gaming topics. And let me pull my title back on screen. Okay. We as gamers, gamers rise up. Gamers rise up. Okay, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about for this week is going to be the recent Fallout 76 news. Now, of course, we've been following Fallout 76 now for a couple of weeks, but this week, I really wanted to make it more so about not Fallout 76 as a game. We know it's bad. It was launched unfinished. Uh, it's using an engine that probably isn't really optimized for such you know play, etc., etc. We've beaten that part to death, right? So we don't need to keep mentioning that part. But uh, I do want to mention what happened to my oh my uh, display capture disappeared. Okay, I'll have to set another one. Y'all can't see anything. Hold up. Let me re replace this. For some reason, my display capture like crashed or something. Huh. Yeah, I'm, do I'm doing this live, people. I'm doing this live. <laughs> I, for some reason, I can't get my display capture to work today. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> yeah. I wish it just worked right now. Hmm. Maybe I could do a window capture? I wonder, yeah, I wonder why this isn't working right now. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. You know how this stuff is. This shit gets finicky somehow. That reminds me, before I launch into this uh, article, and to this point about Fallout 76, we're 34 subs. Actually, sorry. Scratch that. We're 33 subs out of 50 from our sub goal of making me stream and podcast in the outfit. So if you haven't already used your Amazon subscription or you've got some cash laying around, uh, please sub. That'd be nice to be able to finish that goal. Anyway, whoops, I'm not trying to get you guys to read everything that I'm showcasing here. All right, let's get back to what I was talking about with Fallout 76. The point that I wanted to bring up this week is not that the game's bad, that's old news. It's not that the game is rushed, that's old news. It's that the mass media or, or games journalism, as we like to dub them, has recently basically planted their flag and said that the game is shit, right? I think we could say largely. Uh, for example, Eurogamer literally says that the game is a bizarre, boring, and broken mess, and to avoid it. And if we go to Metacritic and see what they've got to say about Fallout 76, it's, uh, it's looking no better. Overall, it has 55 out of 100 Metascore, and the user scores, as you can see on screen, are much, much worse. Uh, 3,500 ratings have said the game is a 2.9 or worse. <laughs> uh, this doesn't surprise me, right? We knew, that, we knew that the population that actually plays the game 
uh, on a more, you know, consistent basis and isn't kind of there with, uh, yeah, you, you know what, I, I, I would even say that, but let's just say, uh, players who are playing the game, the audience in this case, the consumer base, we already knew we weren't going to like the game, and I knew that it would largely be seen as negative. What I was more so interested in was when it came out, was the media, was games journalism going to condemn the game? That's what I was really curious about. Because obviously the game is uh, developed by Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda, of course, is a massive company. It's a company that has released, you know, the best-selling game uh, in the past who knows how many years with Skyrim, obviously. But more specifically, it's a type of company that another, let's say, video game journalism company such as insert whatever one of the ones on the list here GameSpot, US Gamer any of these this is one this is a publisher or a game that theoretically these companies would want to do well right because then it's one that they could advertise on their website and one that could likely uh, provide them with more traffic and then you know in, in turn more money but there comes a certain point of course where the games journalism like let's let's call it the proverbial games journalism will finally decide you know what it's gotten to the point we, where we can no longer forgive such a thing. We have to just make our stance known. And on this case, they've done it loud and clear with Fallout 76. Now, you don't typically see this. And this is why it's so interesting to me. You have games that are kind of seen as like very wishy-washy, maybe have mixed reviews, uh, things like PUBG, right? Media is very, very hesitant to criticize these games because they know that they have large audiences and that obviously uh i've seen probably like a, a billion PUBG ads on every game journalism website that i've been to in the past couple of months right just as a you know a random example they don't necessarily want to terminate that kind of relationship or not or not have that kind of relationship working as as good as they possibly can but it's basically gotten to the point where even the most stalwart loyalists such as forbes can't even stop or can't stop themselves from saying that the game isn't so good. Uh, Forbes said that the look upon or uh, Forbes dubbed their uh, review rather uh, "Look upon my works in despair." I'll pull that one up on screen, but I probably actually I don't know if I'll pull up a Forbes article. Those things try and spam you with damn ads every time I try and open these up. But let's see if this one works. Okay. Oh, I got a pop up video thing here, but. I don't think it's an ad, so I think I'm okay. So this guy put about 35 to 40 hours into the game, and essentially, at the very end, I like how his final paragraph... The, the final paragraph part is the part that I love the most here. Check this out. He says, While admittedly I was skeptical about the concept of Fallout 76 going in, this is still worse than I anticipated. Maybe if he wasn't following it at all, I could see that, right? And just so you know, that's very common that a writer, or, or in this case a journalist, is essentially getting a game a week before it launches or getting knowledge of a game a week before it launches and then told, okay, you're supposed to do an in-depth review on this uh, starting now. The embargo lifts in three days or four or five days, six days, right? That's typically what happens. Like these people are constantly grinding and playing as many possible games as they can and they often don't choose their own assignments in some cases, right? So that, that's possible uh, what, he, what he meant there. But anyway, he says, it's not even ruined by players it's ruined by the mere concept of being on a live server itself. 
Now, the part that I want to really call out in this article, which just kind of makes me laugh, is where he says, this is a huge, rare, total miss by Bethesda. Even if it's improved in time, I can only judge it by hours I've lost to it so far. The huge and rare total miss by Bethesda. I'm like, I'm really confused kind of what this, what this statement means, right? I feel like this is, this is a, this is Forbes saying, hey, just so you guys know, like, we think Bethesda's pretty great, but man, Fallout 76, it's just a bad game, aka it's, it's general opinion at this point. Most people are going to agree with that sentiment. They're not really making any revolutionary point there. But I think that this part is a little telling to me because it's kind of like many, many, many Bethesda games have launched not so well. Uh, ESO, obviously, in, in our realm, we're kind of like the MMO community to some extent or part of an MMO community, certainly. We can remember how ESO was in beta and how it was at launch. It uh, was not so great, right? Everyone can remember, of course, the numerous amounts of bugs in Morrowind, uh, the game engine problems. People will talk about Oblivion having game-breaking issues. There was dupes in the game. Uh, you could dupe things by dropping it on the ground, then it would like infinitely drop a bunch of things. On the, like, there, was, there was some things that were kind of game-breaking in those games, but they weren't terrible in terms of, like, I would say in relation to other games, right? They, they, weren't, like, they weren't completely terrible, but certainly for the standard of, you know, again, in this argument, the standard of a Bethesda game, probably not launch ready, right? Or at least not as good as they could have been launch ready. Now, of course, we've already had a whole discussion about maybe this is because of the engine that they're using. I don't want to have that discussion again, <laughs> frankly. But I think when games journalism has to start condemning a game and condemning it loud and clear... That basically just tells you that public opinion is is just widespread, right? Fallout 76 is, is very clearly not uh, making people happy, especially people who are Fallout loyalists. They're not happy with it at all. It kind of retcons a lot of lore. Um, of course, there's gameplay reasons to not like the game. A VATS is a complete, uh, absolute joke, right? We've been over all of that already. But it makes me think... When in the past have we seen such a big outcry and distaste of a game against a big publisher, or in this case, a publisher and developer? I can't really think of a whole lot of examples of this. I mean, we look at like Battlefront 2, and obviously that was a lot stemmed behind the whole, the whole idea of the microtransactions. So that, that kind of, I guess, is a certain example, but... This is the first time I think I've really seen a company immediately at launch feel pain. Battlefront 2 took a little bit. It took, a, I think, even a couple um, days, maybe, to get that level of pushback. Whereas Fallout 76 has been kind of steadily pushed against before it was even uh, playable for people. And then, of course, when it was in a playable beta, people were already railing against it. And then, of course, its launch, people were also uh, continuing to rail against it. And I'm wondering at this point, is the only way that we can trust that a game, a gaming journalist, media outlet, website thing, whatever you want to call places like when Forbes cover video games or places like Kotaku or GameSpot, Eurogamer, IGN, uh, who else do we have out there? Polygon, Destructoid, etc., etc., right? Is the only way we can conceivably think that they will rail against a game in this case when it's basically everybody's opinion, right? 
when you look at Metacritic and, you know, over 3,500 people think that the game is a 2.9 on average, right? Like, it's it's an average score of 2.9. This is one of those things where it almost just makes it seem like a 55 critic score in comparison is still actually missing the point. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say here is, like, I feel like the only way we can really count on these uh, gaming journalist websites to actually report on something as, you know, objectively as they can. Well, actually, I take that back. I don't even think this is objective in any case. It's just obvious, right? It's, it's, you don't even need to necessarily prove it. It's just general opinion, right? It's the prevailing opinion. I don't even know if we can rely, and if we have in some time relied on a game journalist website to really give a critical review. And this thing kind of just proves it to me because you look at the reviews here and first off, some of them obviously surely were critical, but is it hard to be critical of a game like Fallout 76? That was me waiting to, to hear like a proverbial yes, no kind of thing. I think we can all say probably yes, right? Pretty damn easy to hate uh, Fallout 76 for all of the plethora of things that we've mentioned before. But it seems like it was so difficult for some of these outlets to just come out and just be like, you know what? Yeah, it is complete shit. They waited a little bit. They 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 kind of hand wave things saying that, come on, Bethesda never makes bad titles. It can't be this time. And it's just like it takes the audience or the consumer base to be like, this is shit. And just repeating that over and over and over again for for in this case, for an outlet to be like, you know what? Yeah, it is bad. It's okay for us to say that the game is bad. And that's just, it's such a paradigm shift. When I think back to the old days, I was talking to somebody in Discord and they were mentioning how my little icon kind of seems similar to, to GameSpy. And of course, I loved GameSpy as a kid. I used to play Neverwinter Nights on multiplayer servers. So I would play on their little servers that they had um, back then. Rest in peace, GameSpy, by the way. But GameSpy reminded me of those old kind of journalist companies which were very much like grassroots and they were very much like if they covered something, you know they were going to play it as much as they possibly can and they were going to be as critical of it as, as they possibly could. But obviously something changed along the way, something that I want to talk about, I'm sure, in a video. Something changed, right? So, and, and really you can track it uh, down to an, the exchange of cash, right? When, when, you, when you look at where cash is flowing from, right, where the cash comes from, you can typically kind of understand why people have difficulties being objective, right? In this case, when you look at a, not to call out any specific company because many of them do this, but let's say X company is a games journalist, you know, website of sorts, right? It's a media outlet that, came, that covers gaming. This media outlet makes money based on its website, uh, clicks, ads, um, possible subscriptions, possible donations, possible paid content, right? These are how these outlets are typically going to make their money. Now, advertising is obviously going to be the largest uh, revenue driver for them. And advertising, as again, most people know, is paid for by the developers, or in this case, uh, these days, often the publishers. Uh, big marketing budgets, right? They go to these different companies. They put these big page ads, these big wrappers at the top. You have these ones that are on the back when you click them. It's like a link somewhere. Rift used to do those, for example. Tons of examples of that. Now, 
let's say I'm covering, I don't know, let's just say Fallout 76. I'm covering Fallout 76 on my website. Call it nerdsreviews.com. That's not, a, or at least probably actually isn't a review website. But uh, anyway, I don't think it is. Sorry, nerds.com, if uh, nerdreviews.com, if that's a real website. Don't mean to slander your name. But let's say I put it on my website, my review on my website, and um, I hit up my agent or maybe possibly a manager and i'm like hey is there a possible way we could look to getting some possible uh sponsored content done maybe some advertisement done on our website who could we reach out to let's say my manager the suit guy in this uh made up scenario says oh you could reach out to a company like bethesda then bethesda will go through my backlog and see that one time that i said that this game was really shit and they might be a little bit more hesitant to give me more access, right? Maybe no inner workings of how a game is going to function before it releases, getting a certain kind of scoop, right? They're, they're, it's not that they don't trust me as a person. It's that they have an asset that they're trying to protect, a.k.a. their video game and its perception. And they don't want it to be displayed on somebody's website where the person isn't supporting the product. Right, it's 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 common fucking sense, but I bring this up because uh, I notice that a lot of people they need to understand that when you think about money, you have to think about where the money is coming from, and it really helps you understand why things like this happen. Right, why it's hard in some cases for games, for for really just journalists in general, but I would say more so obviously in our case uh, in gaming, it's hard for them to be objective. Right, they have an editor who, by the way, gets final say. So they don't even get... Not only does a journalist, in some cases, not get to choose their assignment, they don't even get final say as to what actually is published. You understand how, how that could be so problematic, right? That It's very problematic, because you could have entire parts of your uh, review omitted. And it's like, sure, you could say, can you not do that? But ultimately, the the editor has the final say. And the editor is the one that knows, hey, I need to maintain my relationships in the industry. We need to be careful not to slander this game. We need to be careful to react in this way. Uh, one of the best examples I can think of this, and I, I don't know if you guys remember during this craze, but it was back during the a billion different COD games. I don't even remember what time period that was. What, what time period was that? Was that 2010 or so? It was during that time when basically a new COD game was coming out every year. And these COD games were, I would say, kind of like copies of each other. They, they, some of them were good. Modern Warfare uh, 1 surely was a good one. I'm talking about the newer age CODs. Uh, Modern Warfare 2 is often considered like one of the more successful ones, right? Uh, I think it's the best-selling one even. Or maybe I'm thinking of Black Ops 2. But anyway, there was a time period where they were just releasing game after game after game with little variation to the actual uh, mechanics of the game, such as class progression, uh, kill streaks, that sort of stuff, right? It probably still does happen. I was just bringing up a previous example, I guess, uh, John in chat. And so back when this was happening, IGN was a company that, again, comes to mind for me, where every time they would say, oh, it's kind of like the same as the last game, 8.5, right? Like they would say this repeatedly and repeatedly. And now, not slander the name of IGN. I will bring up an example of this. Let's look at Call of Duty reviews. Let's do it live, right? 
You can't even click reviews anymore up here. I, I could have swore you used to be able to uh, click reviews. Okay, so let's look at the way IGN in the past, which, by the way, has had many, many, many COD advertisements on their websites. I mean, more than I can remember uh, of any other shooter. Of course, they gave Black Ops 4 8.5. I'm not really going to get into why um, this is some PS Vita game, so don't get alarmed by that one. Advanced Warfare got a 9.1. Advanced Warfare is one of the most hated Call of Duties by fans, by the way. Again, you can check this by just simply going to Metacritic, going to different um, review websites, and just reading reviews from actual players, right? You can kind of read what they say. World War II is considered by pro players of the COD community, a community I actually randomly follow, to be the worst competitive COD. It has an 8, right, of, on IGN. Call of Duty 2, my favorite Call of Duty, only has 0.5 more than Call of Duty World War II. You see what I'm saying? These, these um, rankings and these arbitrary 8s and whatever the fuck else, it's not really defined or, or adequately described what the difference between this and this would be. 0.5 doesn't seem like a big difference to me. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't see any conceivable argument where you can say that World War II is better than Call of Duty 2. I don't think that there's a really conceivable argument for that. The campaign in 2 is way better, uh, even you know just in terms of how much there is to do in it and uh, how iconic some of the scenes are. But I show this on screen just to illustrate that. You know, IGN has basically, besides that one Vita game, never given a COD franchise a single bad review, right? Black Ops 3 got a 7 here. Eh, that's probably the meanest they wanted to be. Black Ops 3 is a, is a, is a Black Ops um, 2 clone, essentially, right? This was the biggest criticism of this game. They gave it a 7, right? So they didn't even consider it bad. It was just considered like, eh, it's pretty okay, right? And, you know, again, not to pick on IGN, but this is just an example of... Let's say Activision in this case were to go back and say, should we give uh, IGN more advertisement budget? Uh, sorry, budget. And were to go through this catalog of games and reviews and, and they would, I mean, what would you form? What would your opinion be? If you were, if you were uh, let's put yourself in Activision marketing guy, uh, Steve. Let's say you're, you're Steve in marketing from Activision, right? If you're going through this, you're probably going to say, yeah, I love IGN. Please, IGN, put ads all over your website, right? Because you're never going to say that my games are bad. You're just going to say that they're kind of like like the 7 says, right? Uh, where is the 7 at? Again, these low rankings, these are adaptations on, cons or on, on handhelds. So like, don't be confused by those numbers. Look at their console releases. Where's the big red one, one at? I wonder if they ever reviewed the Big Red one because I'm curious what they gave that one. I liked, uh, I liked that one in particular because it had tanks and stuff like that. Think about that. The, the last time we've had a tank in a Call of Duty franchise. Anyway, I completely digress and I think I've made my point at this point. Let me read through chat a little bit here. Jim Sterling was told he was a wild card and that wild cards don't get early review copies. Perfect example, right? Being critical in journalism actually doesn't help your career. It doesn't. And now I know that's a, it seems a little bit strange because people do clickbait. Um, people 
are uh, maybe they revolve personalities. Say, for example, like the Jimquisition, they they have this series kind of revolves around being like snooty and um, uh, what, what would be the word? Snarky, right? Of course, you know, rest in peace, Total Biscuit. Snarky was one word he particularly liked to use to describe himself. Uh, of course, the Snarkathon comes to mind. Th- these types of reviewers... Or even just journalists, because I, I would I would certainly call Jim Sterling and uh, again rest in peace, Total Biscuit. I would I would call him or have called him essentially a journalist, right? They have a lot of integrity, and in, and specifically the reason that is is that they've been willing to shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to their money. And what I mean by that is, as somebody said in chat, uh, Jim Sterling is willing to to ignore the fact that he's not given review copies. And still try and do reviews, right? Because whether or not the company supports him doesn't matter to him. All that matters to him is obviously doing his job and, and doing what I think he does a really good job of doing, which is letting people know when something is bullshit. And uh, he has that on lock, right? I would certainly say. There isn't a very good vocabulary discussion about what was good or bad about a game. Yeah, and, and reviews are kind of all... I mean, review numbers, I should say, kind of have always been a little bit um, arbitrary, certainly. This was an easy one for them to seem like they are legit again. E- exactly. Is, is the word... Do you guys think that the word here may be saying virtue signaling? Or maybe even, like, in some cases, dog whistling kind of works in this whole kind of scenario of games journalism kind of condemning fallout 76 i could say for sure they're trying to let everybody know hey like we're on your side we also think fallout 76 is not so good right right they want people to think that right they don't want to adopt a position that they're going to have to actually defend and i mean when is it going to be that we start holding more journalists and, frankly, these companies more responsible for the reviews that they give, uh, for the work that they do, and in some cases for the problems that they cause, right? I think it's certainly getting to the point to where we as consumers, we as you know, players and gamers and that sort of stuff, we're starting to not really trust these outlets anymore. We're not trusting these media outlets anymore. We've seen a lot of different scandals. Um, we've, we've obviously questioned if they've even played games in some cases um, or if they can play them like with their eyes open, for example, versus eyes closed, uh, which still seems to be a problem for some of them. Um, of course, maybe even in some cases have to be told how to turn on a console, um, which is just me memeing, honestly, but I think it's a pretty good meme. MMO massively is perfect example of indie funding to be true to your product. I would agree to that to, in some cases. I, I think massively overpowered does a decent job of that. Um, certainly better than they did at Joystick when they were part of Joystick, rather when they were massively Joystick. But like, do you guys remember MMORPG.com? MMORPG.com is is a website that should be ingrained into basically all of our minds at this point. It's one of those classic websites. Where you can just type in MMORPG.com, boom, you go to MMORPG.com. I've been to this website. I couldn't even possibly tell you how many times, right? It's been a long time that I've been revisiting this website. But one thing I noticed 
with this website is compared to other outlets, it's just kind of it kind of fell off the map. And I think that that's mainly because if you look at this front page, nearly everything that they'll show you is like some sponsored type of content. And like a good example of this is you you scroll down, they put all of these like little like giveaways and stuff like that. And again, this used to be really really cool when games were basically all sub fees and didn't have uh, trials. So whenever they would introduce trials, like sweepstakes and giveaways being shown down here was like a really cool part of it. But if you look at this right here, right? Gamespace.com. Bethesda explains early announcement of Starfield and Elder Scrolls. None of this is related to MMOs at all, right? But MMORPG.com doesn't really care about that anymore. They'll basically talk about anything that can get them clicks and can get them uh, a response. Right, so it's like a it's like a website that kind of, in some cases, I can understand why uh, MMOs certainly haven't been nearly as successful as they used to be, and certainly not during their heyday of like 2004 through 2007 is probably when they were at their peak of popularities. Right, uh, maybe 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 2009. I, I would extend that to 2009. Yeah, I would say like a, they had like a five six year run where they were probably the market in gaming they were the titan market obviously i don't really think we can say that anymore even with games like star citizen still being funded um we will always be a more expensive genre as a whole but we've clearly lost a lot of favor and aren't nearly as popular as other trends say for example uh br games mobas and the like right now, what a lot of these websites will do, like MMORPG.com, one, one reason why I don't really go to it anymore is you can't really see it now because I've got my ad block on, but let me turn my ad block off. And let's reload this page. Underworld Ascendant, okay? This is a game that I think certainly looks interesting, right? But certainly one that I've never played myself. It's got 36% negative reviews. Now, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes public opinion is wrong. But generally speaking, when public opinion is this uh, pronounced, again, 239 might not be high enough people for a good sample size or an ample sample size. But in this case, could be certainly enough to persuade you in one way or not. But this is kind of an example of what I'm trying to say here. This, in my opinion, hurts your integrity when you display it on your website. Because, again... Don't know the game personally, but if it's as bad as these people are saying it to be, it's kind of like, why are you advertising this game on your website, right? Again, rhetorical question, but why? Do you think they really care if it's a good or a bad game? Mm, not really, right? They don't really care. They don't really care that it's a bad game. And I don't know about you guys. But when I'm trying to watch porn, this just ruins my immersion. I'm just kidding. But I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a website like this, and let's say for some reason I don't have my ad block on, and I see an ad like this, and I'm one of those people who's like stupid, but also trolly enough to want to click the ad just to see what it is. Just like, you know, all of the different advertisements that I get sent to me in Gmail, and they're always telling me to shill some other game. I, some, I always look at them just because I want to see, like, what is it, right? What is this game or uh, what is this MMO that they're trying to get me to sell to somebody? But I just don't see an argument 
for having a game, again, not to pick specifically on this game, but games like this. And they do this all the time that they don't care about whatever the quality of the game is. They don't care about the business practices. They will shill the living hell out of ESO, but nobody wants to remember, for example, that Zenimax uh, got caught trying to install adware into people's PCs uh, with their launcher. Nobody remembers that, right? And I'm not saying that you should condemn Zenimax forever or never trust them again. But it's just like people are willing to sweep that under the rug as long as you're willing to give them that fat advertising uh, budget. That fat, those fat advertisement uh, dollars. Buddy, uh... Oh, okay. Uh, Ulysses wants to, to call in right now. He had a point that he wanted to make in regard to the scores that we were just talking about, uh, review scores. So let's uh, bring them on now. Hey, what's up? Hi. Um, I wanted to expound a little bit on uh, what I was saying earlier about the vocabulary that we use about reviewing and, and the numbers. Because I actually think that talking about games is actually more complicated than people give it credit for. Um, and I think that the uh, written reviews and the numbered reviews that you see from IGN and companies like that, older companies like that, are actually kind of outmoded, actually long out by uh, YouTube and Twitch. Right. I think that um, when you look at games, you see that it's actually kind of hard in written word to describe necessarily what is good about a game. Because I can point to say, we can say like graphics are an aspect of games that uh, can improve the quality of the game, that make it a better game. But I can point to games with great graphics that aren't really all that good. It can't carry the whole game by itself, and it's hard to really visualize how that aspect necessarily improves the overall product. But when you watch it on YouTube, or you watch somebody play it on Twitch, or you see examples of it alongside a review on YouTube, it's much more clear how the graphics affect the overall quality of the game yeah i think that's a that's a that's a good point it's kind of like when you watch a youtube review versus you know reading some article or, or trusting someone that's going to put something on a one out of ten scale it's almost just like you know that you're not going to have somebody who's confined by some arbitrary metric right mm -hmm. personally i just find a score out of 10 to just be very arbitrary because again Unless you actually explain what 1 means, what 10 means, what 9 means, what 8 means, what 7 means, it doesn't really mean anything to us other than just a number, right? Obviously, closer to 10 means better, and closer to 1 or 0 means worse. But watching a review such as uh, ACG, for example, or watching like an ACG review, he's going to give you his thoughts and bring up the biggest problems he's found in the game in like maybe 10, 15 minutes. And you're going to be able to see him play the game. You're going to be able to see him go through the problems that he mentions. And you're going to know that uh, he'll tell you if it's worth a buy or isn't worth a buy. I believe that's what a series is called. It's like worth a buy or something like that. But um, many people do series like that. But those types of reviews I enjoy because it's basically like, look, I don't know if this game is bad. I can't really explain that to you. But I can say, certainly say if I've at least gotten some level of enjoyment out of it. Right. And I think it's mm -hmm. worth the money. And it's like. That is just way more helpful as a consumer than this is a 3.125 out of 10 because it's just like, I don't know what that means. I, I mean, I don't right. know. What, what, what does it, for example, what does a seven mean in the context of uh, 
a game like Call of Duty versus an 8 or an 8 versus an 8.5. Are you really going to tell me that World War II, Call of Duty World War II, is better than Call of Duty 2? Like, I don't think you can objectively make that point. But I think you, right. you could make a subjective case in terms of graphics, in terms of probably gameplays a lot smoother or whatever else. But I would say, for example, to, to offer a counterpoint, that Call of Duty 2 is a lot more immersive of, of an experience, and it's not nearly as action-y and, and cheesy as some of the newer mm-hmm. COD games are. And so that's why it's my favorite COD. Uh, but again, can I describe that in an 8 versus 8.5 and describe that all of that makes up that 0.5? I, I couldn't possibly explain that to somebody because, again, it's like you said, it's just, it's well, really a just picture, A picture is worth a thousand words. And I think that, and this is where it's starting to get into sort of speculation territory as far as uh, what effect this sort of uh, this dynamic has with reviews on IGN and their and their sort of their business as you were saying they have this relationship with publishers where they've got to have it's a symbiotic relationship they've got they can't have a bad review otherwise they become a quote unquote wild card and can't be trusted <laughs> to do their business correctly right right well you know if you think if you if we both agree you know they, their whole style of, you know, write up a bit, do a big write up and do a numbered review doesn't really compare well to uh, what can be done on YouTube and Twitch, right? As far as like as a consumer standpoint. Yeah, I mean, especially Twitch. I think I think Twitch is a perfect example of that because Twitch is like you can experience it live. So you can you can see for yourself like immediately, huh, this is how I feel or this is how I think about it. It, well, this it, is this is just something I've done on the fly here. But you know, you look at like let's go to uh, you know traffic statistics for IGN. Um, I get uh, an Alexa ranking, a global rank of 355 globally, and 122 in the United States. If I go to YouTube, it's number two in the world and number two in the United States. So the ad revenue, the the value of the that ad space is so much more value on youtube than it is on anywhere on youtube than it is on ign right right so you could guess that that might have an effect on how valuable the individual business relationships ign has with those publishers yeah and it's it's almost or at least it almost can be inferred that somebody who's still operating in that traditional journalist you know perspective or from that traditional journalist uh website perspective it would probably have to shill that much more if they want to keep up with just a regular youtuber let alone a shill youtuber a shill youtuber is you know as you can imagine is the one raking in all of the cash (laughs) right because you know like you said they're on the second most popular platform uh globally uh sorry second most popular website first most popular platform at least currently um I don't know if Twitch or whatever overcome that, but uh, maybe if they manage to do some things similar to YouTube, I think they could, but that's a story for another time or a discussion for another time. Being on that big of a platform and being a shell, yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> if you want to make right. money, that's the way to go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I largely think that IG is in a tough spot. You know, I can, in that way, I can kind of sympathize with, like you were saying, you know, you follow them, 
you kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I've got a phone call and I've actually got to go, but uh, yeah, I can sympathize with what, why they're doing what they're doing. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate that, Ulysses. All right. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Everyone uh, in chat, thanks Ulysses for his, uh, thank you Ulysses rather for his question slash point that he made. Again, at any time you can feel free to join our podcast lobby channel where you can talk to Card and set up a question with me. Uh, maybe you want to have a discussion, maybe you disagree with me, maybe you want to debate me, whatever it may be. This is the way, the podcast is the way that I essentially interact with my audience the most, right? It's where nothing as you can tell, nothing is planned here. I didn't really do a whole lot of like research into the specific point that I was going to make today. I wanted to yeah, I like to be a little bit more off the cuff, uh off the cuff rather, a little bit more personal and really feel like I'm speaking to a person and not just speaking at the screen, which is kind of how it feels sometimes when you get a bunch of YouTube comments. People are just kind of speaking at you or speaking at the screen. They're not really like having a conversation with you. Whereas, you know, you can have a conversation whenever you can actually bring somebody on to, to talk to. I do not bite, I only rain down hellfire. Exactly. So you can, by the way, if you don't want to join Discord, you don't have to. You can at card or at me in uh, Twitch chat if you have any questions. And we will get to those questions at the end of the podcast. But if there's any particular points that you want to remark about now, you can at one of us and we can respond to that. Of course, as we gain a little bit more popularity, we won't be able to respond to every single at. But um, we will respond to call-ins and that sort of thing because those are a little bit uh, harder to do. So I give people respect for doing that. I didn't really have a major point to talk about with uh, in regards to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, as I mentioned previously. I just wanted to kind of show this article. or Actually, I won't show the article. I'll just show the tweet on screen. But Nintendo Versus announces that Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is punching its way into the record books. Thank you to all the amazing fans for support in making this a fight for the ages. So essentially, they're trying to say that this game is the best pre-selling game so far in the Smash Brothers. It says it right there. I, just, I guess it says it in the actual video. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to bring up Smash Ultimate. One is, frankly, I'm very, very interested in playing Smash Ultimate, and I'm very excited to do such. Uh, but I wanted to bring it up because it made me wonder, could Smash Ultimate be the next mega game? And when I'm talking mega game, I'm talking Fortnite, I'm talking League of Legends, I'm talking CSGO, you know, the, the next mega I don't even want to call it a multiplayer game because it can still be played as a single player game, but just could Smash Bros. Ultimate be an, another mega hit or the next mega hit? At this point, the amount of money, time, and effort they put into this game, it clearly looks well and away their best game. <laughs> Copyright strike on you. <laughs> it's probably not completely um, far from the truth. More of a question, I guess. I just posed that question to you guys. Do you think that Smash Ultimate could be this next, you know, mega hit? I know it's Nintendo. Nintendo is Nintendo, and has they have zero interest of allowing their game to be played on any other platform. Period. 
that will certainly help or rather hurt their sales, especially in comparison to Fortnite, which plays on just about anything. I mean, next thing you know, they're going to have Fortnite on the toaster and Fortnite on the shitter. Um, those are just matter of time. I wonder if that would affect it to some extent, but I really think based on my, I wouldn't say my prior knowledge, but I would just say just the knowledge in general surrounding the Smash Brothers franchise. It's always been a really big and certainly loyal franchise. And it seems like with Ultimate, unlike with uh, Smash Brothers Melee or even Brawl to some extent, it looks like they're pulling out all of the stops. Like they're trying to make this the biggest Smash experience they can. And I wonder if their recent announcement, by the way, it was a cryptic announcement, but Nintendo actually kind of announced that they were doing an esports league with uh, Smash Brothers. Again, don't take my word for it. Look this up. But they essentially announced that there's an East and a West division of Japan, uh, a league rather. We don't know what this means. We don't know if this actually means esports. Maybe it's just like high school or something or primary school or whatever they call it there. Um, maybe it is an actual esports league with different teams in different regions. And maybe they're trying to have some sort of like esports competition. Of course, for people who aren't aware, Japanese uh, fan, I would say Japanese developers typically shy away from doing esports because they like things to be a little bit more what I would describe as like casual land experiences now of course everyone's going to bring up tekken i know tekken is huge there and tekken has a massive uh, competitive uh, audience as the street fighter but i just mean more so just in general right but nintendo especially especially nintendo has basically in some cases uh, in the past at least condemned uh, smash brothers whenever it's tried to be esports they've pulled tournaments before of course that's there's that famous story where they basically pulled support and weren't going to allow um, any more Smash Brothers Melee tournaments. And of course, the Melee community created a fundraiser. They created a, pe a petition. And I think they had like over 100000 or something dollars donated to some charity. And basically, Nintendo kind of did. I mean, Nintendo has certainly been at least willing to listen, but has always kind of remarked esports as kind of like, and that's not really a serious thing. I think they're starting to change their tune. And that's more so uh, obviously displayed with their recent announcements for the leagues, like I mentioned. Or I should say the league, because we don't know if this has anything to do with the Western world at all yet. There could not be a Western scene. But that's okay. Nintendo doesn't need to make a scene. The community in Smash has always made the scene. Um, and it, it'll be like that forever. Luckily, that's why I think Smash is such an interesting community. Uh even though it's a little bit inclusive, or sorry, exclusive in some cases. It's about time they embrace the esports culture. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that dynamics. It's, it's, it's cool to see them start to embrace esports, and it makes me kind of excited to see what the future of the Smash uh, community is, but obviously more so Smash Ultimate. I'm not really, I kind of wanted to also show this on screen today because I wanted to announce to people that I wanted to play the game and I will be playing it. I have a Switch, um, if you guys didn't know that already, and I will be buying the game to play it. But I'm not really sure if I would do content on it. Um, I don't really know if there's a need for me to do content. It's such a saturated market already. But maybe if I could do it as a, a video from the perspective of somebody who isn't really a big fan, who's kind of getting involved in it all, maybe that could be helpful to any of you. But... I'm really eager to see 
what Nintendo can do with Smash Ultimate. I really do think it can be a best-selling title and certainly the next blockbuster title. I think it has all of the trimmings to do that. It has tons of replayability, tons of variety and modes. It has a single-player mode. It has a bunch. Of course, it has all of its achievements, as it's always had. Uh, the break the target stuff, different, uh, you know, the world records stuff that you can do with those competitions and the races as well. Of course, there's team, there's 2v2 tournaments, there's 1v1 tournaments, DreamHack, Evo, all of this sort of stuff. There's just so much replayability in this game. And of course, you can play it off of your Switch, which you can play on a plane, right? It'll be interesting to see if this can t- overtake. I wouldn't say overtake, but I would certainly say interesting to see if it could be as big as a hit as it's going to be in Japan, as it's going to be in the Western uh, market. Sort of like with Ion to some extent, like we recently covered. We'll see, though. I think it'd be fun to do a Smash stream against viewers like me. Yeah, I think a, I think a f- Smash stream with uh, viewers would be awesome, um, especially if my viewers are bad because I'm not particularly good at the game. I think people won't take any Nintendo esports initiative seriously if they never address Melee. That's a good point. I think they kind of, in some cases, recently addressed Melee, but not entirely. So I can see your point there, uh, Jazz. Anyway, let's talk more about um, Daisy. I wanted to bring up Daisy today because Daisy is one of those discussions where there's just so many things that you can take away from it, right? There's the whole idea that obviously it's been a mod in development for longer than five years. It started as a mod, obviously, in Arma 2. It became a standalone game after being a very, very popular mod. But it launched as a standalone game before it actually launched, right? So it was like an early access, alpha, pre-alpha, whatever the heck you want to call it these days type of experience. But after five years, six days ago, they announced that uh, Daisy has entered beta. And I'm wondering, first off, if anybody cares at this point. And I'm wondering if the game is good enough in a beta state to actually maybe warrant returning to or possibly even, you know, re-dominating the Twitch charts. Because if you guys remember, Daisy video content and stream content was widely popular. It was it was a huge success. I used to watch videos. Uh, Golden Glove, of course, he had a bunch of videos on it. Uh, Frankie on PC. Um, there's a couple more where they give people like jam guns and they do like little social experiments. It was always an interesting game to kind of, I wouldn't say watch on stream, but certainly watch videos of. But I'm I'm wondering if people will return to this game at this point or if it's a little bit too much. It's like... In some cases, you would think sunk cost, right? Maybe people who are already dedicated to it will keep being dedicated to it. But a lot of like the original Daisy streamers don't even play the game anymore. And so I wonder if there will be some kind of resurgence of sorts for Daisy, or maybe if it's just too late. And I like to have conversations of too late because, well, I just got a 504 uh, gateway timeout. That's probably not a good sign. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... It's an interesting discussion for me personally because obviously as a fan and a journalist now involved in MMOs and, and MMOs in particular, we often have stories about could this MMO make a comeback, right? For example, a, a game maybe I've covered on my series, 
maybe at some point could have some sort of resurgence. Of course, we talked about APB um, with Little Orbit purchasing them and also purchasing Fallen Earth and essentially trying to revamp these games to kind of relaunch them again to possibly uh, get some of that success back. This Daisy re-entering beta thing is is interesting for a lot of reasons, but that's a probably a big primary reason why it's interesting to me. Is I wonder after seeing this if it really is good enough, if people will come back to it despite all of the negative publicity it's had, despite being in like some perpetual state of beta, or rather alpha, besides uh, losing their key lead developer who promised the moon and then kind of disappeared to make a copycat version of the game. And they make a comeback, right? If they can do it, I think we can safely say that there's at least one MMO who can make that level of a comeback, right? At this point, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone in particular, but I'm saying if we can, say for example, as DayZ experienced, take an old MMO, give it a new facelift, like a new engine, new updated engine or whatever else, and trying to maybe work on, of course, performance issues that have plugged Daisy or sorry, plagued Daisy for, for a millennia, <laughs> it feels like at least. Hackers, that's another thing. Hackers used to ruin that game all of the time. I wonder. It's certainly interesting. I know all of you have thought at least once about that funny make-believe scenario where you think, oh, if I won the lottery, what would I do with all of this money? And I know that at least one of us here, including me, have thought about the concept of what if I got my hundred billion whatever dollars from the lottery and decided to like remake an MMO? Could it be possible, right? If I just gave Lord of the Rings money, could I be like, hey, can you not make it the way that it is now? Or if I could give SWOTOR money, if I could, I wouldn't want to give EA money, but if I could, if I could somehow buy Bioware back from EA with this, you know, innumerable amounts of millions of dollars and then tell them, Hey, I'm going to give you uh, the ability to choose any engine you want, any amount of money, no problem. And maybe give them like unreal engine four or something instead of the hero engine or the Omega low engine. I wonder if it could work, you know? It's certainly interesting to think about. Uh, MMOs obviously are never change or never ending changes of a product. You always need to have live updates. You always need to have uh, maintenance on your servers and that sort of stuff. So it's like a constant live service, right? That you're you're constantly updating and constantly changing. Because of that, is it more acceptable that such a game? For example, could have a resurgence of sorts. I mean, we've seen it with ESO. We've seen it with Final Fantasy fourteen. We've seen it with Rift to, to a certain extent. Uh, well, maybe not anymore now. Um, we've seen it with, uh, I wouldn't say Planetside 2. That's a bad example. Maybe the resurgence with Legion, with WoW, that could certainly be counted, I would say. Because that was certainly a resurgence of sorts. Though I think they've probably squandered a, a good amount of that now with their bfa expansions but i wonder right could we just give an old school mmo a new updated engine say for example could we take apb like little orbit wants to and say okay unreal engine 4 you're this great engine that's working great in fortnite and these other games and maybe now you're starting to kind of find your way into the realm of mmos we're seeing it in like lost ark uh of course Eve uh, developers CCP are promising a game that's going to use Unreal Engine 4. So is NCSoft. Um, 
Unreal Engine 4 is certainly a good engine and is probably like the golden standard right now. I wonder if APB could take their previous Unreal Engine 3 and actually port it to Unreal Engine 4. I wish I had the technical ability to tell you how difficult that would be. Certainly, I know it's difficult, and certainly um, they first and foremost are interested in getting it to 3.5 <laughs> before they get it to 4.0 because that will be obviously less of a leap. But I really want to see if Little Orbit can do something with that because that really would change kind of the landscape of things. Think about it. If we had more companies like Little Orbit purchasing failing games, maybe they could actually resurrect these games. Arcage is a good example. Tryon right now is in a, is in a I want to say a lawsuit, but they're in, they're in a process. Where, well, they actually were in a lawsuit. I don't think they're in the lawsuit anymore because they technically don't own the IP to the games that they were previously in lawsuits with. I don't know how any of that works, but um, let's say let's say that XL Games actually doesn't let uh, Tryon give it give Arcage over to gamers first, or sorry, uh, Gamago, who recently purchased their uh, products, sorry, their their IPs. It was an asset purchase, which essentially means they want what they have, right? So they can turn a profit on it. Um, I wonder, could another company, for example, let's say. You and my, as a like, let's say the Nerd Slayer Company of Billionaires. We pull all of our resources together in the billions and say, actually, Excel, we'll take our cage. And we decide to port it to the next level of engine and try and revitalize the game or fix the game to some extent, right? I think if a company like Little Orbit can do this with, an, with a franchise like APB, which has at this point been, you know, obviously dragged through the mud and then some... It certainly opens up a lot of possibilities, right? Because no longer can we say that games are going to die when their official servers are failing, right? Or when their number counts are dropping. Because there could be a chance that this company exists where they just decide, you know what? We'll purchase that company or we'll purchase that game and then we'll make it better. And you see this in many other markets, but you don't see it in gaming as much. So this Daisy thing has gotten me kind of thinking about that. And I know it's not... It's a little bit tangential, like it's not completely related, but that's what came to mind first. APB needs a lot more than an engine update. It's true. Mass Effect MMO, yeah, that's that's definitely going to be planned in this make-believe story. <laughs> I loved what Daisy stood for in early days, when it was this player interaction-centered experience where everyone had their own story to tell. But Daisy can't provide that experience for years now. I think Daisy proved a valuable point about difficulty and player freedom early in its history, but now it's just obsolete. That's a really good point. I, I, I think I would largely agree with your criticism of it. Daisy, for me, again, I played it for, a, I would say, at least 100 plus hours or so. So certainly was at least somewhat of a fan of the game at some point. But what I noticed after like my 100th or 200th hour in the game was kind of like, I can't even play the game the way the game wants me to really play it. And what I, what I mean by that is that if emergent gameplay is going to be the most significant part of a game, you got to give me more tools, right? Like, yeah, it's cool to run around Cherno a bunch of times, but can I, like, own a house in Cherno? Maybe open all of the buildings up? And I know that they're currently in the process of doing that, but I'm just saying these were things that I was thinking back then and wondering... You spoiled me with these cool interactions where I'm getting held at gunpoint by bandits and I'm meeting friends and they're betraying me and all of these great immersion experiences, right? Where it's just like endless replayability. But it's not really endless replayability because when you have, when you get robbed, 
16 times is kind of not so fun anymore. And when you get sniped from the tower, from the good old sniper tower, I know you guys who've played the game, it ain't so fun anymore. You're kind of like, okay, uh, this kind of gets old after a while. So how can I actually impact my environment? And in DayZ, not a whole lot of ways, right? You can't capture a house, really. You can't capture territory. You can't create houses. There really isn't a building system implemented yet. It was always kind of like this half-baked idea that at the end of the day, I think it's just kind of a, it suffers because of its container, right? I don't know if that engine is the exact engine that they need to have for that type of game. In some cases, it reminds me of like, if EverQuest Next kept being developed, can't you guys see like some similarities between DayZ and EverQuest Next? Both wanted to be big about emergent gameplay. Both wanted to promise that you could change the environment and you could have all of these new different experiences. But in one case, they were just like, all right, this isn't worth the investment. And in the other case, they kept going for five years because it was obviously such a, you know, a, you know, powerfully uh, selling game. But I don't know. I wonder, could we take old MMOs and actually redo them? I don't know if that's possible, but I bet you it will be done at some point. Let's move into the next segment. Uh, that's MMOs on the go. That's probably the segment that uh, you all want me to talk about the most. Hoping that there's going to be a new fun MMO to play. Well, luckily for you, there is. Insert big uh, cash dollars from the company. I'm just kidding. Nobody has given me money yet, despite them trying to. All right, so I had, a, I had one that I wanted to bring up, one point that I wanted to bring up about unpopular opinions. Um, another one was, of course, I wanted to talk a little about Legends of Aria, which I've already mentioned briefly to you guys. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, Star Citizen's uh, first day of free fly week, which I believe started a couple of days ago and is still ongoing now. There's been some interesting developments in regards to that as well. So let's first tackle this unpopular opinion that I saw on uh, the MMORPG subreddit. And so this one I think is, it's a very good one. It says, MMORPGs need to slow way down. I like how he puts the extra A's in there, way down. I'm not going to read this entire post. Uh, I already have, but you can if you want. Um, I'll link it in chat for those who are interested. But essentially what this guy says is that Content these days is so focused on instant gratification, whereas old school MMOs were slow paced and not by choice, but because that's how he felt that they needed to be. He thinks that MMOs are trying to be more action oriented, but it kind of removes what makes MMOs unique, which is the community. By taking away basic aspects of what is needed, such as communication, this guy uh, explains, MMOs required a lot of grinding no matter what you do. So when you're playing Spamfest 9000, it's actually a lot better to share that experience with someone else and actually have a conversation with them. That, that point's not fully um, formed there, but I think we can understand what he's trying to say there, which is essentially that when you remove game uh, design aspects that remove your interaction with other players or the necessity for your interaction with other players, it obviously can ruin the community aspect of a game or make it seem like a lot less uh, alive, right? make it feel more lifeless, like a lobby-based game and not an actual MMO where you have a community. I wanted to talk about this because at this point, can we even say this is an unpopular opinion, right? I know 
MMORPG uh, subreddit is home to many, many uh, maestros, many geniuses, uh, many uh, oracles who can all tell us about what games are failing in the future and how the market's going to be in 20 years. I'm, I know it's full of those kinds of people, so maybe this could seem like an unpopular opinion to those and to those people who just want to talk about Guild Wars 2 all day. But I, I honestly think, especially in our community, which is certainly a little bit biased, right? Our community is one that's more interested in like returning to what's like the original view of MMOs community and those aspects. But if you just look within our community, um, which at this point we're at 102,000 subscribers overall, on the channel and of course our discord is in the couple hundreds so there's a decent sample size here what i notice that a lot of people are missing is they just simply want more opportunities to dedicate more time to have more fun and get more rewards and i know that sounds very very obvious and very simplistic but what i mean by that to provide an example is that when games are almost solely focused on instant gratification what happens with instant gratification, especially uh, when you think about mechanics such as like catch-up mechanics, like WoW is trying to implement with these like gear mechanics where things are RNG-based, so even if you're maybe not necessarily doing a hard mode raid, you could still get a piece of gear that maybe you're not supposed to be getting, but because they want to reward everybody for everyone gets a participation trophy kind of thing, right? The people who want old-school MMOs back or the old-school form of progression, they don't want everybody to get a progression trophy. They want you to actually be able to earn the trophy. So for those who've ever played kid soccer, uh, there's many kid soccer leagues where they're essentially like, there are no winners. We're all in this together, right? These kind of soccer leagues exist. And uh, I remember, you know, when my sister was young, she uh, would be a part of these soccer leagues and I would go watch their games. And it looks so unbelievably boring to me. And this is what I think about with current day MMOs. It's everybody playing a soccer game where nobody cares about winning, nobody cares about working together because it's all joke and for fun anyway, and then everyone kind of treats it as this giant casual experience. Now, again, that should exist. There should be a casual experience. There should be an easy-to-play game. There should be a theme park MMOs. There's always going to be a market for the more instant, fun, immediate kind of content. But when I would watch these soccer games, one thing I always noticed is there was always that one person in the game who actually wanted to win. That person actually really wanted to win. And what that person would do is obviously run their ass off. They'd be kicking the ball. They'd be passing the ball. They'd be diving for things. They'd be trying to get, you know, trying to flop, trying to do crazy things in order to get a win, right? They were just simply willing to do more. And so whenever that team won, I was never surprised, right? Because I was like, well, they actually had like one or two guys on their team or girls on their team who wanted to win, right? And when I think about this, like comparison with old MMOs and current day MMOs, it reminds me of that. It's like these days, MMOs are all about the participation trophy. They want you to feel rewarded when you just log into the game. Here's a, a boost, right? These games are trying to get you to buy microtransactions and they're like, here's a freebie, right? You get your free little boost, but then it expires in two days, just so you know. But there's your participation trophy. It just has a shelf life. And then they'll say... um, Oh, if you participate in this raid once a week, you have a chance to also get the same loot that somebody else does, a.k.a. everybody's a winner. Everybody can't be a winner, right? Some of us lose. Um, some of us lose more than we win, right? Not everybody can be a winner. And when somebody's willing to put more time, when they're willing to, to meet people, 
uh, form friendships, form relationships, get better prices uh, in, in, in like an MMO market, right? Work deals out with guilds, um, uh, formulate alliances with other guilds, dominate certain aspects of the game, maybe PvP, maybe PvE, whatever it is. Those people should be rewarded for being more dedicated and being more willing to put the time in. I think that's what's missing right now in the market. It just feels like there's not a whole lot of games that us as consumers and MMOs, uh, obviously MMOs here, or we can just feel like, you know what? If I dedicate the next three months uh, playing to this, and I don't mean to say dedicate as in 40 hours a week. I, I know like it can seem that way in some cases. Casual pace, whatever you five hours. If you have five hours a week, five hours a week, right? Whatever your time limit is, you have your time limit. But with that five hours, you can still be productive. You can still feel like you're accomplishing something. And when you do manage to do it after four months, because it took you that much longer than everybody else, but because you had to work harder, I don't know about you guys, but I value it even more because I knew that first off, I didn't have the same resources as those other people had, aka time, or maybe in some cases money. And so when I finally managed to do it on my own time, I'm still excited. I'm still happy. I didn't get a participation trophy. I still had to work hard, right? I still had to put the time and effort in. I still got what I wanted uh, to accomplish, even if I did it casually, right? So it's like, yes, instant gratification should exist, but when instant gratification replaces long-form progression, aka long-term thinking and long-term goals, it just makes it feel like there's no loyalty with the game and there's no actual basis of a community, right? Because vanity matters because it creates reason for people to want to achieve, right? They want that special mount. They want that special achievement because in their game, people look at them and they say, wow, he has a spectral tiger or wow, he has a, 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 a set of devil wings or, you know, whatever that you had at the t- a gold cape. If you're playing um, Guild Wars 1 or um, Black Die, if you're playing Warhammer, right? When people had these specific things that you knew took time and effort to get. I don't know about you guys, but I used to walk around like populated towns uh, in MMOs and I would just look at people's gears and when you would see someone that had really cool gear you knew that that person earned that gear you knew that nowadays you can walk around you see a dude and he's decked out in this crazy legendary gear and you're just like man that dude's probably like a banger you know he like he put a lot of time into getting that and you talk to the guy and he's like I raid once a week and I just got lucky and you're just like oh Oh, okay, so it's actually not that great of a reward or it's actually not that great of an accomplishment, right? It even demeans or diminishes the the uh, form of progression in the first place. When you get something too easy, despite, you know, all of us want to say, I want something easy, right? Our human nature is to basically try and live as easy as we possibly can, right? Generally speaking, humans will try and minimize the amount of risk because obviously we're all about survival. So, of course, we're going to want things to be easy to some extent. But as has been proven many, many, many times, the reason why kids do better when they pay for classes versus not paying for classes, not to say that I think that we should get gouged as uh, students like, uh, you know, these private, uh, these private fucking universities want to do, but just saying even just the fact that you have to pay, period. It's been proven, you know, there's been studies that show that the people who do pay for the classes care more, right? Of course, if you're going to spend money on something, I don't know about you guys, but I've paid my way through school so far, um, personally, um, because I barely have ever gotten any type of aid. 
first off, that in itself kind of feels good to some extent, but obviously it explains why I still haven't finished my degree. <laughs> because it's uh, not really an affordable way to do it. That being said, when I finish that degree, even though it's been now years I've been working on it, you don't think I'm going to value that way more than somebody is who basically went to school, had no idea what they're doing, and then just got handed a degree and something that they don't care about or have no uh, aptitude in, right? I'm probably going to care a little bit more, right? Because I worked for it. It's kind of like, imagine if somebody tells you, if, I run up, if you run up this hill right now 10 times, I will give you nothing. But if you run up 11 times, I will give you a, a free dinner. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm going to do it. For, for a free dinner, I'll take that. As long as it's like somewhere good, right? You got to wine and dine me before you want to seduce me. Let's say, yeah, it's, it's 11 times. The 11th time I get up that hill, he gives me the free dinner. I know I earned that dinner, okay? So I don't know about you guys, but when I get to that restaurant, I'm going to chow down, okay? Because I just put in 11 laps of running up a damn hill. You know, come on. Us gamers aren't supposed to run. We're only supposed to sit and think and seem like oddly, weirdly, intellectually superior. Um, not do such frivolous physical activities. But I know any of you would agree. If you had to go clean your parents' car for $100, you're going to definitely make sure you get that $100 worth, right? <laughs> you're, you're going to make sure after they make you painstakingly clean that car you better give me something good, right? People want to be rewarded for the amount of work that they put in. But when they feel like they're putting in more work than somebody else's and getting the same reward, the whole system just unravels because then the rewards don't mean as much anymore, right? You've seen people like Asmongold talk about this on stream all the time, and it's true. If, if you take that part away, then it all doesn't matter anymore, right? Because who cares if you have the boots of blinding speed if Johnny and 16 million other people have the boots of blinding speed, right? It's, not, it's no longer a vanity item. It no longer matters, right? If everybody has it, it's not an accomplishment. Uh, put it this way. When you guys walk outside, it probably feels like an accomplishment like it does for me sometimes because I prefer to stay inside. Um, but um, do you get an award every time you walk outside? No. Because we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is like going and living our life, right? You don't get an award for that and you don't feel like, heck yeah, like, you know, I feel really accomplished when I go outside. No, you feel accomplished when you do something, when you put work in, when you, when you get that car that you wanted, when you get the job that you wanted, when you, when you get the game that you wanted, when you get the piece of gear that you wanted, right? This is, this is something that I really, really hope will change with this recent push towards more crowdsourced and crowdfunded things. Um, but we'll see. By the way, thank you for the sub, whoever subbed to me. I, I didn't see who it was. I'm sorry about that. Um, we're now at 34 subs. Let me go through my list here. I don't normally like to list all of this stuff on stream, especially because it's, I have an audience who listens to this on SoundCloud, <laughs> even if it's a small audience, and they're probably usually like, what, are, what is he even talking about? But you guys get all the exclusive drops because you're the ones willing to watch it live, right? All right, let me see. Where is this person at? Um, trying to find where it's at. Okay, dashboard here. Let's do it live. 
Okay, it was it was uh, Maidri. I appreciate I appreciate that. I can't talk today. I blame not drinking enough water. That's my dog. She's so sensitive that me just putting my cup down triggered her. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but <laughs> that's what you get when you got like a hound dog in your house. You just like put this down and they're just like immediately bark. Told you the story before of the son who wanted his dad's money and he told himself that he could have it once he earned a thousand USD himself first. Yeah, that's that's a great story. In a world of scam, I do not believe in what you say. Sorry. Fair enough. You don't have to believe uh, me. Actually, nobody has to believe anybody. You can always question everything if you wanted to, but you'll probably live a very lonely and scary life, so you should at least trust some people. <laughs> don't have a hound dog, but my gets really... Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway. I finished that little uh, rant of sorts. Let's talk about Legends of Aria. Um, I'm going to pull that up on the screen right now. Legends of Aria recently had its free open beta weekend, which of course was this past weekend. Um, I talked about this last podcast. So for those who obviously missed a chance to play, unfortunately, there's no more open beta. But the game does launch into its uh, early access launch um, next month, I believe on the 6th. Why is it not in this article? Let me see if I can find the other article. And on the 27th, it's launching into like its uh, Head Start launch, which is obviously available to any people who uh, pre-order the game or purchase a Founders Pack, rather. They don't call it pre-ordering these days in MMOs. It's always called a Founders This or Founders That. I, I wanted to bring up Legends of Aria uh, fourth. Thank you for that, Ginger, in chat. Uh, here it is, at 3 p.m. Eastern, rather. There's three different um, types of packs, Founders Pack. The cheapest one, just so you guys know, because that's usually what people ask, what's the cheapest one? It's $30. And the reason why I wanted to bring up uh, Legends of Aria is first, this is a small indie developer who's making a title, essentially trying to um, revitalize the interest in Ultima by essentially kind of making a spiritual successor of sorts. And before people say, what about uh, Shroud of the Avatar? That one's not doing so well, so let's not talk about that adaptation uh, right now, at least. Um, Richard Garriott obviously is working at that company, so he's got that one. But Legends of Aria actually has some original uh, UO devs as well that are working on the game. And they're essentially trying to do like a... Easiest way to put it would be like a next-gen version of Ultima Online. It's styled the exact same in a lot of cases, right? It's a, it's a point-and-click type of game. It's a point-and-click kind of game. It's all based around sandbox, aka doing activities out in the world, crafting, that sort of stuff. Um, of course, PvP is a big part of the game, but there is safe zones in the game, just like in RuneScape and just like in later uh, renditions of Ultima. So it's not you don't have to always worry about being killed by players. You can stay in relatively safe zones and only travel in blue groups. Uh, there's an alignment system that makes it to where it's more difficult for people to obviously um, be PK'd. There's also, of course, housing, as you see here on screen. People are able to create their own houses, sell plots, uh, maybe even if you want to create like some sort of real estate empire that's totally available to you. It's not a game... Well, let me say this. I will never tell you guys a game is great before I have a chance to extensively play it. But after playing open beta and playing it with a couple guys from our community, I think we all kind of formed the same opinion, which is 
it's good enough to try, right? We're interested to see what Legends of Aria can do. I find, obviously, old-school MMOs very interesting. I, As you guys know, I personally love full-loot uh, PvP MMOs, and I love ones that have very integral crafting systems and more so integral communities. So I decided, you know what? We're going to play this game at least up until the end of the year, right? Let's see how long we can play this game. If it's good enough past that point, great. We'll keep playing it, right? I don't think any of us are going to complain if we keep liking the game and we keep enjoying it. But we certainly are going to make some sort of concerted effort to try the game out. So for those that are interested in playing an MMO or never got the chance to play UO and you've got $30 to spare and maybe a couple of days, you can come join us in our guild. Currently, we're calling ourselves We Only PvE, obviously a joke and a pun of sorts. And we will be playing on the Verdant Earth server. So just a little offer to you guys as a community. If you want to come join us, if you want more chances to play with uh, maybe, you know, very dedicated MMO players, maybe more casual fans, uh, or maybe you are a more casual fan, you want to learn the ropes, maybe you're not so experienced with MMOs, this is a perfect chance because you'll get to play with me, and you'll get to play with some of our more uh, active uh, Discord members as well. So just throwing that out there. Um, Legends of Aria didn't give me any money. Um, I spoke to them on a personal level. I met with uh, one of their lead project developers. I was more so just interested in kind of what their idea for the future is with the game and and that and stuff of that sort. One thing I will say about the game, just so people know, is the combat's a little bit janky. And now, of course, early access, you know, that whole thing exists, right? People are going to say it's it's a little bit early. It's not fully released yet. It's a little bit janky, but it's a good enough gameplay for you to at least have some level of enjoyment. At least that's my opinion, right? No fact there, just my personal opinion. Um. But we'll see. I'll be streaming this um, come head start, which is tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then I will also stream it at launch. Actually, you know what? The seven-day head start, I might not stream, but I might make another character for launch. I'm not sure yet. But point being, I do want to show more footage of me playing MMOs. I know people ask me about that all the time. So here's my chance to try and play a game and see if it's any good for you guys. Um but what I've experienced already has at least been enjoyable enough to want to participate in more. So, yeah. There's my uh, opinion, I guess, and, and just thoughts about Legends of Aria. Well, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say thoughts. I would say more so intrigue. I have a lot of intrigue about the title so far. I'm not sure if I'll make any like dedicated video for the game yet, if we'll just stream it. We'll see. It all depends, obviously. Maybe if we stop playing it, we for sure will make a video why. And maybe if we keep playing it, we can make a video for that as well to explain to everybody. Now, there's a couple of things that I wanted to bring up in regards to Legends of Aria and me announcing that I was interested in playing the game. Um, one of the major issues that I see is people will often re regurgitate the same kind of like meme, which is essentially early access is evil. Anything early access is evil. I Let me first say, I totally understand why people don't like early access, and why it's, in some cases, objectively been very negative. Um, I like to think about ARC as an example of this. They've created expansions while in early access, which is just so egregious that nobody should ever support such a practice. Where EA is problematic, and not EA as in the microtransaction company, but EA as in the early access uh, community, or I guess variant 
The problem with EA is that the companies that are doing EA are companies like Bethesda, right? Let's be honest. That wasn't a beta that just happened. That was an EA, right? That was an early access. When big companies do early access, it makes you as the consumer kind of scratch your head because you're like, I don't understand. Why is a company that has the funding and has the potential to sit on a game and work on it, right? Why are you doing an early access? It's just beta. Beta has become early access. Open beta used to be the way you marketed your MMO, uh, as explained by Richard Garriott to me personally. Early access is basically the new way to advertise your game and get paid before it's actually fully released. So my thoughts on early access just generally, um, nothing wrong with it. Just on a general way. Paid betas have been in existence for decades upon decades. So please don't act like early access is a new thing. It's been around. It just was called something different back then, right? It was paid beta back then. Many, many, many different MMOs, even MMOs I've covered, have had paid betas. You can have your arguments of whether or not a paid beta is a good idea or not. I will certainly be willing to have that discussion with you. I I don't really think I have any big opinion on that if, if it's bad or good or whatever else. But EA is great for a small company. Think about this. What if you're a small company, you've got budgets that are less than six figures, you don't have a lot of time to work on a game because time costs money, right? Costs money to keep working on a game. Why could Blizzard sit on World of Warcraft for five years, right? Because they can afford it, right? They can afford that. They can afford to just sit on it and work for it or work on it that long. Paid betas of sorts and, and these alphas and whatever else and early access exist because they're essentially a way for the consumer to play a game that isn't yet ready, right? And support the game. But this has a different connotation than an open beta because an open beta, the connotation was this isn't finished and this isn't a launched product yet. EA is a bit different, right? When big AAA companies are launching titles in EA, it's kind of blurring the lines here. People are confused. Is this a real game? Is this a real launch? And whatever else. But to explain why it's different when a AAA company does a EA versus when a small company, an indie company does an EA, is the indie company is basically doing a fundraiser, right? Uh, they're basically doing a Kickstarter of sorts. So perfect examples of this. Project Gorgon, Legends of Aria. Um, uh, what's that one that we just played? Um, is something Gloria? What's the one that we just we we played this one like a couple of months ago? It looked like RuneScape, and had like really cool questing system. What was that one called? Glor was it Gloria Victus? No, it's not Gloria Victus. It's it's one of those other MMOs. Point being. These, these already exist. There's indie MMO companies out there. Again, those are the biggest ones I just mentioned. Um, sorry, not biggest, but I mean like they're the most profound of that exact example. Nobody questions why Project Gorgon can't uh, launch a fully released product yet and they're in early access right now, right? Why is that? Because their dev team is like three people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like nobody's going to hold it against... Uh, the Project Gorgon team, when they're like, hey, do you want to come beta test our game? We could use the funding, so we're going to sell the game and make it purchasable. But um, 
just so you know, we're still working on the game. People don't really hold it against them because first off, they want something new. So they're willing at this point in this current market to pay, right? To at least have a different kind of experience or maybe the same experience compared to more of like an old school experience. But nobody holds it against that type of company whenever they want to do an EA. When people get mad is when a big company does an EA, an early access launch, and people are wondering, why do you even need to do an early access launch? You have the funds, you have the time, you have the marketing, you have the IP, whatever else it is that you need. You have uh, the budget and ability to reach out to as many people as you possibly can reach out to. So this isn't anything else other than a marketing stunt and a way to avoid criticism. Uh, it's an easy way to avoid criticism. Think about how long it took to, uh, sorry, think about how long it took reviewers to to review Fallout 76. It's because they, they they didn't want to review it in the early access, right? In the in the beta, because people would have gotten mad at them. They would have been like, "It's beta, it's beta, guys. It it's all subject to guys." When the game's launching next week, I'm going to let you on, or let you in on a little secret. When a game is launching a week after its beta. It's not a true open beta, right? It's an early access launch. Legends of Aria just admitted that. They just said, hey, it's, it's, it's early access start, right? We're going to have an early access, and this is why. Whereas Bethesda's like, we're going to have open beta, guys. That's not open beta. That's, that's an early access launch, right? Because they didn't wipe, right? Not a wipe. And... um. People who got in as fast as they possibly could get in were going to get an advantage over other players, right? So now they're actually getting a financial incentive to want to pay money, uh, rather. They're getting a progression uh, incentive to want to pay money. Because if I buy the game and play it in early access, well, I can get a higher level than everybody else can, right? But I don't like when people just blanket critique things. So if you, if you dislike early access... As a general thing, I'm totally fine with that. I totally understand why. Um, but maybe I just understand it a little bit more because I'm somebody who wants to get more involved in game development. And let me tell you right now, if I ever did anything of that sort, it would be crowdfunded 100%. I would never touch a publisher and I would never touch an investor. But you guys can't expect that to be the case and not be okay with Kickstarters and not be okay with early access launches or paid betas of sorts right? Like you, I don't know what that one was supposed to be, but let's just say this one's important as well. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like you can't hold it against a small company when they're trying to get some kind of funding, right? So let them do their Kickstarter, let them do their early access launch, as long as they're doing it, you know, morally right, ethically right. And, uh, are very clear with what they're doing. I think Legends of Aria has done that so far. So if your argument is that because they're having an early access launch, you don't think it's going to be good or you think it's all of a sudden bad automatically, I don't really think that there's any basis for that. My first experience with EA was with Mountain Blade Warband, and they absolutely nailed it there. Yeah, in fact, Mountain Blade's a perfect example of this, uh, Jazz Pirate. Is that how I pronounce it or is it Jazz Pirat? Pirat. But Mountain Blade's a perfect example of this. They're a small company. Actually, if I remember correctly, aren't they just a couple of people? At least they were for the longest time when they made the first Mountain Blade. I thought it was just like a married couple. Same thing with like Project Gorgon. I thought it was just like some married couple who, who was working on the game for a long time. Did anybody ever hold it against them? No. 
you don't hold it against small companies when they need funding and they try and get it in the ways that they can. You just don't like it when these big dogs are all of a sudden doing the same kind of thing. They're walking and barking like a dog, but they're a giraffe, right? You're looking at them and you're just like, you're not early access. What are you doing here? Jazz pirate. It's technically in German. I'm Swiss. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Funny enough, um, one of my really good female friends lives in uh, Switzerland. She works for the UN. Fortnite is an early whackness. <laughs> Rip the days of signing up to get access to closed betas based on PC specs and prior experience. Hey, I do remember those days, man. I do remember those days. It's, that's hilarious. I love the Mountain Blade tabletop feel. I think we all do, man. It's, it just it feels like a great game to play. It almost reminds me in some ways of like a more evolved form of um, Star Wars Battlefront. Would you guys kind of agree with that? Mountain Blade was like a more evolved form of Battlefront because it's imagine if Battlefront could have done what Mountain Blade did later on where they had the same kind of concept where you can kind of move around and attack certain areas and, and you can do like the space sequence or you can do the ground sequence and have that little like instance play out or whatever else. But imagine you could do that, but it's Star Wars RPG as well. It's like, man, I would, I would love to see that kind of thing. Let's move to our uh, next... Again, if you guys want to join us on Legends of Aria, send me a message. Um, we have a Legends of Aria section of our Discord currently, so you're more than welcome to come join us um, as long as you're willing to contribute, obviously, because uh, we're running it like an old-school guild. Okay, and our last little bit of the MMOs on the Go segment is going to be about Star Citizen. And there's been some more recent news about Star Citizen, and I figured who better to bring in than, uh, you know, our, our lovely, lovely resident Star Citizen fan. Or hater. I don't know. He looks like he's kind of turning. I guess we'll, I guess we'll let him tell us uh, for himself. Hey, what's up, Card? Hi, hi. Okay, so as you and I mentioned uh, earlier in our personal conversation... The Fly Week has been happening, and it's been, of course, widely successful for uh, CIG for obviously getting more revenue and, and bringing more attention to their game. And certainly, it's in a far more playable state than it's ever been. But you're not exactly happy with Star Citizen, and I and I want you to tell everybody why. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as I said, it financially has been brilliant as always. The November sale does, but. These are there are more and more things that are just popping up that make you question the directions CIG has taken, and one of those things was also brought up by uh, Tres Iron, one of my hosts on our podcast. Sitting situation, it was like the Idris K is a upgrade package to the Idris P, which is one of the frigates, a capital class ship. Now, originally that was about the Idris M was sold at a thousand dollars, so the Idris P one goes for twelve fifty. But this year they also launched another capital ship, the Kraken, which, you know, stats-wise seem to outclass the Idris B fairly substantially. And so what did CRG do instead of saying anything like, well, you know, a military ship should be actually, even if it's civilianized, it should still outclass a completely civilian-designed ship. Instead of updating the Idris P to you know, make it more competitive, what they did was 
sell us a upgrade package to an Idris K for the price of $250. <laughs> and it is these kind of moves that make you, it me, it make me at least and some others as well, question the direction CIG is taking uh, more and more. Now, a lot of people backed it, of course, like we have a great science fiction MMO, but we are also backing it because, you know, it was a big giant middle finger to all the big evil publishers. Right. It was a little, it, it, he certainly like, especially early on, Chris Roberts was really effective at kind of stoking that whole idea of it's us against the world. Like we're going to create this game. It, you know, you guys are on my side. Like we're going to do this together. And I still think that in, in, you know, to some extent he still thinks that way. I think he is that way as a person, but obviously once um, hundreds of millions of dollars are introduced, it kind of changes the dynamics. And it makes me wonder at this point, is it Chris Roberts or is it everybody else around him? I, I'm not really sure. Mm, I think it's still Chris Roberts. Um, a lot of things, but I think there's also a lot of business stuff around it. And make no mistake, you're looking at a company that's now north of 500 employees, and that's not even including the other studios they are contracting. So it is going to go corporate. I mean, you're at that size, you're just going to that level. But I think they are forgetting what they should be because you can go corporate and still retain uh, a lot of the things that here, you know, your company culture. And I've got a feeling that that company culture is just completely vanishing. And can you, for people who um, don't, I guess, understand why it's so problematic, can you explain why it's problematic that they just, I guess, recently decided to handle the situation like this in regards to pricing um, the ship in that way, but also not, uh, I could think it, you said they didn't want to edit the previous ship at all, so they just made one that was better. Was that supposedly their answer to the situation? Was just I to make really a know. new ship? I don't really know what their thoughts was on this particular subject. I mean, it has not really been a massive outcry, but of course, the amount of people that own an Idris is a very small number of people, considering the price of the ship and also because they're only sold in limited batches. So... This is kind of like a middle finger to those people who were early backers, I guess. Yeah, that's somewhat how it feels. And that has been going on for quite a while with how the sales have been going and how yeah. credit uh, purchases which is your you know, money that you already put and you're melting your ship to buy something else. And they don't longer have LTI, for example, which has always been a massive point in the community. Right, we've talked about that as well. Yeah. Well, it's those things are just like a bit of a concern. Now, of course, financially, this stuff is doing them massively well. And I do notice that a lot of people that have not been here since the earlier days seem to be more accepting of these things but it's hard to say right now it's always hard to gouge the stall citizen community at all yeah that's a a little bit of my fear is that not that this action in itself makes me question them completely obviously i've already been questioning them largely but it's more so it's like if you're willing to do something of that sort which already is going to alienate basically your core audience it, it makes you start to kind of realize that maybe they're no longer just wanting to service that audience uh, first and foremost, but they're more so interested, as I'm sure you've already thought of, uh, of attracting new customers. And, uh, of course, customers willing to spend, you know, $250 on a ship that, you know, now is pretty damn good for the price, right? 
I think it's a dangerous precedent for them to start pushing in this direction because it's going to essentially mean that the decisions that they make are more and more day by day uh, driven by the amount of money that they can make from such a decision. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it has been going on for you know quite a while now. But I think, you know, for especially fans like me, you know, you, you catch on to some of these things a little bit later on. Because, you know, you've got more of the roast-tinted goggles on. And I think for me, that has been this year has been really good in that aspect that I've not been part of any of the big uh, community events, you know, like CitizenCon. Because ever since they held events, I have been present either as a guest or as a volunteer. And this is the first year since they've done it that I have not. And you notice that the big boost that you get from those things, it's not really there. So it allows you to be a little bit more critical. Hmm. Do you think um, at this current point with the recent Fly Week and, sorry, Free Fly Week and uh, recent uh, performance, I guess, gains for Star Citizen, do you feel like it's at a state that you could at least suggest to somebody if they're interested, if, of course, they know the risk you know that comes with pledging could you feel like you could actually you know tell people hey there's something to play here there's something willing to try here or do you think it's still too early for that even you know despite the results that obviously it's working for them in regards to getting new players but could you feel i guess morally right about it yet it's a bit of a catch uh hard one for me because right now i actually cannot play because my account is bugged out so but looking at it like as a game as a whole like can I tell people to pledge for it? You know, if you're thinking like what you're seeing right now, you, know, you can watch plenty of people are streaming Star Citizen. And if you like, you see what is there and you're like, yeah, I can find it enjoyable. By all means, you know, I, would, I don't feel bad about telling people to buy in, but I would say buy in at a low level. So a starter package. And if you really want an upgrade over a starter package, the classic uh, answer of everybody in community is like get an Ages Avenger. It's a bit more expensive, but it's so much more capable and all around. Like, yeah, you can have a quite enjoyable experience if what you see is you think what's worth it. Would I say pledge above that amount? You know, go for all of those big shiny ships? I would say not. I think right now it's more down to CIG, like deliver some more and show us some more. Because as I said, I, I'm no longer feeling it as much as this game needs the money. As, and it feels more like this is a business and it's time for them to start delivering a bit more product. Mm. I think that that's probably astute of a point, just simply because it certainly seems like the increase in, in fundraising in the past you know year alone seems like it's astronomically gone up. So it, it certainly seems like they're making uh, more of a push and I, I think it's and has not really gone up astronomically. It has been quite stable, actually, the amount of funds that have been raising over those several last I guess years. I just meant in particular those uh, those really large ships that they just recently added. I think um, was it was it some, not summer? I don't know if it was spring or that might have been fall of last year. But they they added uh, I think it was like a thirty thousand um, dollar package or something like that. Ah, were... yes, that's one of those classic cases of CIG not properly communicating. That's actually uh, one of those packages that they were asking the concierge level backers, which is everybody that spent at least $1,000, like what kind of packages do you people want us to add to the store 
for you specifically. So that was something that was voted on by the community. The community said, like, we want this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that in this case, and I know obviously being a part of the community could sway your view in some way, but do you think um, the community is problematic just as much as maybe the company is in some cases? Oh, no question about it. It is like there's a reason why we started a podcast to give some proper debate because the community is, I see it is split up in, I could say four sections. You got those who are the ones that really want to see it fail at any and all costs. You know, those are trying to sabotage and do whatever they can. Right. On the other side of the spectrum, you have I think we have one knights. of those in our forum, by the way, or in our, in our <laughs> Discord. <laughs> uh, I would say, on the other end, you have the white knights who believe everything is perfect and Chris Roberts is their deity. So, and those two are fighting every all the time. And in the middle, you got the people that either dare to speak up and risk being attacked by either one of these groups or, in quite a few cases, both of these groups. And you got a very large portion of the community that's just remaining silent because they don't really feel like talking up because of the risk of getting all of this uh, negative commentary towards them. Right. Yeah. I, sorry. sorry. One, one more thing on that. Like, I do know that I re recently actually uh, decided to switch to all uh, paid moderators for their own uh, forums and chats. So I am curious if that will maybe help a little bit with that, but I am skeptical. I often find um, when it comes to moderation, I've always liked fan sites more than official forums because I've always felt like, like a fan site or a fan forum Although certainly they still have the same level of like desire or willingness to engage in maybe censorship because they do obviously rely on the success of the given game that they've chosen for their site or for their business or whatever else. But I find that largely they're at least, you know, a lot more willing to have discussions about certain things. Whereas like just official forums in general have always weirdly, especially in MMOs, been really, really cult-like. <laughs> I've I've personally experienced that in many different games. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. surprise me there, but I just wonder if in regards to how um, those people are getting their information can certainly uh, hurt that. And I think that that's why people, for example, like you and the people that you have uh, also invited to be on the show are people that are at least willing to say that, look, we could be wrong or this could be wrong. But let's at least be willing to talk about it and talk about it in a more fair and um, I would say a far more conducive environment to actually being able to have some sort of conversation versus I've paid 5000 10000 100 whatever, $1,000. Don't you dare say that my game's going to fail. Or don't you dare say that my... Uh, you know, my $5,000 or 10000 whatever, how much money you spend on your ship is going to be completely worthless. But I think you need that, right? Like, that's it's a scary thing, I know. If, if for the people who put a lot of money into Star Citizen, the, the big backers, I certainly know it's a lot of money and you don't want your investment, you know, essentially to fail. But I mean, I'm one of them. <laughs> right. But I think that's why it's even more interesting that you're willing to say, like, this is not okay because that's what an investor should feel. You should feel like you have a lot more power. I feel like in regards to Star Citizen, the reason why it's so scary to me as a precedent is that it doesn't look like the quote-unquote investors have too much power 
I, by default on the pledge system, you have no power at all. Mm. Like a pledge is in every single account, it's like you give a other person or an entity money and you hope that they do the right thing with it. That's it. If you look at the, uh, you know, the terms for pledging right now on the Soul Citizen website, it pretty much is like, yeah, you give us this money, we'll do whatever the fuck we want with it, and you got no recourse. Right. And that's why, you know, when people are so eager for it to fail, I, I keep telling them that this failing could hurt tremendously. Kickstarter and these different programs uh, of the same, you know, Indiegogo, etc. It, it could be a very big blow to such a thing because in some cases... It could be like people are a lot less willing or it could flip in the other way. Maybe they actually introduce some level of like regulation and they say that, um, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how they would do it yet. I haven't put a lot of thought into that, but I'm, I think that that's something um, that we could talk about some other time. Um, yeah, I, I have maybe as a panel idea on that. I mean, you can look actually just to mention quickly, like look at Eve Online's uh, Council of Stellar Management. The cancer stellar management is a stakeholder in CCP. Like, so it's not a shareholder, it's a stakeholder in CCP. So the community literally is a stakeholder in the company. Hmm. And I think really, and crowdfunding, perhaps such things need to be considered. But that's a discussion for another time indeed. Yeah, and I think it's it's certainly an interesting one because at that point, yeah, I mean, it does get a little bit scary when you now have even more financial incentive, right? Because the company itself actually can give you more benefit um, whenever they do well in some certain kind of way. But I uh, certainly... It's the difference between a shareholder and a stakeholder. Like a shareholder shares in the profit. A right. stakeholder is just a stakeholder in the company, okay. but they do not share in profits. So, but they... I guess, how does it work then in regards to the level of power they have over a board or something like that? Mm, Do they have a vote? <laughs> uh, they have some vote, but I'm not really sure on all of the details. I mean, I guess that also depends on how it's being set up, uh, dependent on each company, I guess. Yeah, somebody in chat uh, said crowdfunding is being a shareholder with all the expenses and none of the benefits. <laughs> yes, that's 100% correct. I'm going to save that quote, and I'll give you credit for that, Cups and Lander. That was a good one. Yeah, it's being mentioned uh, before as well. And, like, it's completely true, and that's why I always, like, I say it now, but I've always said it with Star Citizen. Like, you only need to give them money, either if you believe that the game right now, what's there is worth spending money on, or if you believe in the dream. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And, and like, it kind of... It unfortunately has gotten to the point to where now it's like if you want to put money into something, if you want to uh, fund something or even just pre-order something, period, it's like everyone thinks that you're just a bad person for even considering doing such a thing. And that's kind of like the unfortunate state of affairs where anytime I ever mention crowdfunded, people are like scam, um, you're, you're, don't ever pre-order, don't ever crowdfund something they're creating all of these arguments where which are essentially saying don't do anything until the game is playable which i'm sorry for people who think that it's not realistic at all like to think no. that people will somehow not even just from a consumer perspective but as i was just mentioning how the hell do you expect an indie company that you need by the way to make your games better like in the case of mmos we need them to innovate how can they if they can never make any money to do so so I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss 
early access or crowdfunded uh, platforms. But I'm certainly willing to not only do a video, but have a large discussion about the ethics behind Kickstarter and um, how it can be and has already proven to be very problematic, especially for, uh, in particular, the realm of uh, MMOs. But I'm sure that's a discussion we can have at another time. I really want to get into my next rant. (laughs) (laughs) You do rant that, and I would love to join you on that world of discussion sometime then. Okay, yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for stopping by. Always. All right, guys. Let's let's talk about um my soapbox topic of the week. Of course, the soapbox segment um for the regular watchers of the show is the segment where I just cry, whine, and complain about everything. No, I'm just kidding. It's the segment where we don't really have a specific point or or particular new you know news point or evidence point we're just kind of just ranting out loud and ranting as a community it's like talking out loud this is my soapbox but it's also my time to get a little bit more preachy sorry i put the wrong title there uh, i still haven't changed it where is it soapbox here we go and this week's soapbox is going to be about apb but actually YouTube content creation. Yes. Where's Limpos? I know he's not here today because he'd already be crying a sigh of, you know, not not horror, but um, it just, it, it wouldn't be a sigh. Of, it'd be the opposite of a sigh of relief. What is that? Sigh of disbelief? We're going to talk about content creators again this week. But this time, instead of having to make you guys go through something, and watch like an hour video with me like I was trying to do last time, I've actually already taken the time to go through and kind of pick a couple of things out so we can have some talking points. Now, what... <laughs> Channeling limp boss. So, a sigh of despair. So, what an inhalation of distress. There you go. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> this week, we're going to watch a video that details the failure of none other than EPB. Now, there's a reason why I'm going to cover this. The first reason is we also did a video on Death of a Game covering APB as well. And so somebody, uh, Dynamics BRD on my Discord, reached out to me and let me know that there's been a recent video done by the YouTuber named Robocast about, uh, or Cast, I'm not, Robocast, about APB. Now, I kind of knew of Robocast already. He, like Young Yeah, was a YouTuber who basically did game-specific stuff up until he realized that covering very generalistic topics um, and doing them in a, frankly, very, you know, simplistic and surface-level way um, is very financially successful. Now, let me show you guys on screen. This video is five days old and has 729,000 views. Now, this might not seem like a lot, right, for people who've seen videos with millions and millions of views. But for comparison, let's compare it to, well, my APB video, right? That's the easiest comparison. A one-to-one comparison of sorts. My APB video is over a year old, right? Over a year old, and has 490,000 views. 
This doesn't really mean anything for most people who follow YouTube. You know that sometimes people who make longer videos, they don't get as much views. But the reason why this one was so problematic for me is because I actually, well, chose to watch the video. And this is where I take my largest issue um, with Robocast and the content that he makes, okay? So now, essentially, as you watch this video, um, okay, so here's a sponsored bit. He starts it around here, okay. Are bouncing across the screen to an industry worth nearly $100 billion. With so much money to be made, the stakes for game development- Okay, he's building the premise, telling you that a lot of money's coming into this. GTA games cost a lot of money is the thing that he essentially mentions in the very beginning, okay? 50 minutes in, now he's going to start to with the story of APB. A company known as Real Time Worlds began thinking about a new project, and it was one that had potential to revolutionize online games and- Now, first thing I wanna tell you guys is the title of this video is Why APB Failed. So the, the first question that I'm going to expect to be answered is why APB failed, right? Am I being unreasonable? No, I think that's pretty reasonable. It sounded cool. I mean, the company that was working on this new project was founded by David Jones, the mastermind behind the very first Grand Theft Auto game. So it had to be a good game. Pause, let's, let's re-watch let's re, uh, that part right there. Mastermind behind the very first Grand Theft Auto game. So it had to be a good game. A good game. Auto game. So it had to be a good in the very first Grand Theft Auto game. So it had to be a good game. Okay. I'm repeating that over and over again to illustrate something to you guys. Today, we're going to have a little bit of Logic 101. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion or class is in session. Let's say that. Class is in session. Today, we're going to talk about critical thinking and more specific, how to make certain kinds of arguments, right? Now... There are kind of like words that you often hear when described or when describing people's claims, right? And I unfortunately only have one that talks about moral arguments and the, the quick time that I found one, but this was the easiest one for me to find. Now, we're going to talk about the differences between what a descriptive and a normative claim is. And I'm going to tell you why it matters, especially in the context of this Robocost guy and his video about APB. The reason why this is a very big issue is first off, many, many, many people, not just content creators or journalists, make the is versus ought, um, or confuse is versus ought, like moral uh, philosophers have been doing for ages and ages. But more specifically, there's a definition of what a descriptive claim is and what a normative claim is. For many of you who've been to school, you've probably heard these terms, but haven't had them explained to you in a while. Descriptive is you essentially saying that such and such is the case whereas a normative claim is you saying that maybe this is the case or it should be this way right ought that's where the is versus ought comes from right again i'm bringing you back to philosophy 101 classes that you guys took in college but here's an example as it says the mug of coffee in front of me is now at room temperature a descriptive claim he is telling you it is a hundred percent at that room temperature right now we could even go further into describing this by saying the thermometer states that this coffee in front of me is at room temperature. That's what I try and do with my content. Let me say that again. With my content, I try and find some piece, some metric, some piece of evidence that could inform my opinion. In this case, if there's a mug of coffee in front of me and I go and put a thermometer inside of it, I know exactly what the room temperature is. To maybe a couple degrees of margin of error, right? 
So I can then say the mug and coffee or the mug of coffee in front of me is at room temperature, right? That's a descriptive claim. But a normative claim is a little bit more insidious in the sense that it infers that it's true, but actually isn't outright true. Now, a good example of this is that was a really stupid thing to do. It, it doesn't actually explain why, first off, and it can be debated, right? Maybe someone thinks it's a good thing to do. Maybe someone thinks it's a bad thing to do. Another good example is when you take a movie and compare it to another movie and you tell somebody, this movie is better. It's not descriptively true, right? It's not 100% true. It's, this is what it ought to be. You're, you're making an argument that's saying, I think it is because it should be, right? Based on this, that, and this. But a should argument isn't the same as an is argument. And so when you read his description, for example, he, he makes this mistake before the video even starts by reading his description. He says that APB was a game that had a development cost of over 100 million. Usually with a budget that large, a game is bound to be a great game that succeeds. Let's take that statement, right? Usually with a budget that large, a game is bound to be a great game that succeeds. For you guys in class, I'm the teacher right now uh, in this particular case. Could one of you raise your hand if you know what kind of claim that is? Is it descriptive or is it norm normative? Uh, he hello, what's up? Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce your name, but it's a French name, which is really cool. Juan Atur Atra. I'm pronouncing it like a Hispanic person. Juan. Jun Atra Joa. That's a cool name, man, but I have no clue how to pronounce it. Okay, so Cups and Lanters says appeals to emotion are super effective against the ignorant masses. Appeals to logic will whoosh many or whoosh past many people. Whoosh past many people. I wanted. I was hoping one of you would answer this question, but I'll I'll give you a. T I'll I'll do what your uh, teacher does to you when nobody answers their hand or no. Sorry, when nobody raises their hand. Bueller, Bueller. Now, usually what my old teacher used to do is just call on somebody and just make you look like an idiot. Um, okay, there we go. Ginger, he's right. It's a normative claim. Ju, 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 hello. <laughs> All right, Meowf, you and I both have ruined the French language. It's a normative claim, right? But... He said it like a descriptive claim. Do you understand the difference here? He's saying it like it's absolutely true. It's an absolute claim. It isn't. Right? Usually with a budget that large, a game is bound to be a great game that succeeds. I just googled biggest game budgets. Now we can look at some of the most expensive games based on uh, how much, you know, here we go. Star Wars The Old Republic, $200 million. Has Star Wars The Old Republic, relative to its initial expectation and financial expectation, has it been largely successful? No, that's why we covered it on our series, right? So, I mean, according to this, the, the, the highest game on the list already was a pretty big failure for EA. Now, Grand Theft Auto, of course, massive success. Max Payne 
I don't think they got their money's worth, but um, certainly was some level of success. Battlefield 4, um, I don't know the statistics about that one, so I won't really make that claim. But Defiance, oh, here's another MMO. Second MMO on the list, right? Star Wars The Old Republic, second MMO on the list. Defiance, $80 million, right? This game is now debunked, or defunct. They had to remake the game because it didn't work the first time, right? Hey, okay, let me keep scrolling down. Um, what else? Where's the next MMO? After Defiance, it looks to be Rift. Has Rift? Again, same question that I asked of Swotor. Has Rift been a smash success? It was for less than a year. But has it been in its, you know, now counting seven years of development? Uh, no. Especially now that Tryon was a was well sorry they didn't get acquired their assets got acquired by game ago it's not looking so great for rift right that's why i'm making a video on rift now we scroll down what's the next mmo on the list final fantasy 11 eh, really good game still has a really active community fair fair enough right i won't hold that one against them that, that's a successful one apb oh finally we're at apb obviously that one's a, a you know a, a catastrophic failure by proportion. The point that I'm trying to... Um, actually, even more. The Halo MMO. A $90 million MMO that never launched. That was cancelled. The point that I'm trying to illustrate here is... I literally just took like 5 seconds of looking this up. I've already disproved the statement that he made. What does he mean by usually? Statistically? He doesn't back that up in any way, shape, or form. I don't even think statistics exist that showcase... The budget correlation with success. Can somebody show me a study that's a correlation a study, not a causation study? Can someone show me a rather uh, reverse? Can you show me a corollary argument in a causal argument that state that MMOs or games in general, as their budgets increase, have the same level of success? So a positive relationship, right? Is it actually related? To their level of success. That's hard to say, right? I mean, because we can look at games like WoW, which is obviously have been very expensive and have made a lot of money. But then, of course, you can look at games, as I mentioned, like SWOTOR, where it's like, has it made all of that money back? We don't necessarily know, right? We don't know the inner workings, but we know that they certainly haven't been making as much money, um, you know, currently. I mean, they've already been on the chopping block for a bit. And although they are recently um, pushing out a new expansion, the actual content of the expansion is still coming out um, and they've relegated their income, um, their, sorry, their uh, financial data to the other page of the income financial uh, statistics of uh, EA's, uh, what do they call it? It's not end of year, but I don't remember. Oh, their quarterly, uh, their quarterly revenue. Swotor used to have its own section, just like most MMOs would, right? When you're, when you're proud of your game, you give it its own section and you tell everybody how much money it makes. When you stop telling everybody how much money your game makes, can anybody guess why? It's not making money anymore. Not in the same way that it was making before. And that's why EA seriously considered shutting down Swotor. And this, again, comes from a reputable source who was close um, and also had some level of um, connection with some reporter from Kotaku, apparently, who talked to this person. 
they're hiding the loss from the shareholders. Good, good, good point, Cups and Lantern, right? So already I'm on shaky ground with this person's video because he's he's passing things off that seem like they're true. Again, normative claims seem like they're true, but you don't actually know if they're true. He then follows it up at 1.13, and, oh, 1.13 into the video with, it had David Jones, so it had to be a good game. Okay. Here are all of the games that uh, he's ever done. This one has 70, uh, this game Menace has like a 70% rating. Blood Money, uh, 80 to 90%. Fair enough, right? These games are performing pretty decently. Um, this one's got like a B rating overall. You get the point. I'm literally just going through his ca uh, catalog to see if that's an, a that's an accurate assumption. But guess what? Even if it is an accurate assumption, he can't make that claim without actually explaining why it's an accurate uh, assumption, right? You'd have to actually go through and see, like, has he ever technically made a bad game? And I mean, you look at some of this stuff and it seems like he hasn't made an outright bad game. And when I say bad game, I mean a game that's essentially rated less than a seven. I know we hate fucking <laughs> out of 10 metrics, but we're using them right now. Right? So he still has made some kind of like average games, but not necessarily big block blockbuster hits. Now, the funny thing about Grand Theft Auto, and of course, I've actually played Grand Theft Auto 1. This is how it looked. It was a top-down view of a game. Pretty, pr honestly, pretty horrible game. Like, it was a good idea and a, f and a fun and unique idea, but not, not the best game. I didn't really enjoy it as a kid, maybe because only because I could shoot people and like steal their car, which, you know, certainly didn't make my aunt any happier whenever I would play the game. But Grand Theft Auto 1 was never some major success, right? It took them at least three tries before they actually got a really good Grand Theft Auto. And by the way, Dave Jones wasn't involved with the other Grand Theft Autos, only the first one. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is that although we can say that he, may, he might not have made bad games, he hasn't always made great games. So then to then infer that any time that he's the lead developer of a project, you cannot then imply that it had to be a good game. It's impossible to imply this, right? He, once again, he's made a claim that's, that seems like it's descriptive. It seems like he's saying that this is, right? It had to be. Well, nothing has to be anything, first off. And second off, you can put as much money into a game as you possibly want and have the best developer. It can still fail. Case in point, Warhammer Online, right? You had Mark Jacobs. You had the Realm versus Realm guy. And like 70, 60, 50 million dollars, whatever they spent in that game. Warhammer Online is obviously a massive catastrophic failure of a game and doesn't exist anymore, right? But it had to be a good game. It had Mark Jacobs. Uh, Mark Jacobs made great games. It had to be a good game. Businesses don't work like that. Businesses aren't completely reliant on one person. Even if David Jones is the creative genius that, you know, we believe him to be, doesn't mean that he can run a business, first off. Doesn't mean that he can launch a product and launch it successfully. And certainly doesn't mean that he uh, 
is somehow destined to be successful in any of that or because of any of that, right? This is, it's so problematic to me because you see this rhetoric mentioned a lot in his different kinds of videos. And essentially what, it, what he does is he passes off what he thinks or feels and, it, and he passes it off as essentially being true. But it's not actually true. In, in this case, the claim that he made here is not actually true. It cannot be proven to be true. If it's only proven sometimes, you know, the outlier doesn't make the mean, right? The outlier doesn't define what the average is. So it had to be a good game. This new project would be known as All Points Bulletin, referred to... Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to company that made it. make you guys watch the whole video. Had a lasting impact on what modern games have become. So, he, in 2000 so he talked about how he had a lasting impact on what games have become. Um, I, 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 would, I, think that that's a, I think that's a very fair uh, statement to make. ...supposed to be huge, and, and character customization. The map was a constant battle known as the criminal. World with a constant battle going on between one side, known as the enforcers, and the opposing side, known as the criminals. The map was supposed to be huge, and character customization was unlike anything ever seen at the time. There were. By the way, the map wasn't huge, and they never necessarily advertised it as being huge. In fact, it was just one lobby. They didn't even get. They didn't even get the chance to fully complete the game. <laughs> all points bulletin didn't even have all of the landmass in the game that it was supposed to have. In fact, they didn't even have turf wars uh, working for the longest time either. But, I mean, these are things that, obviously, he's not going to mention because it takes an, a certain level of research to actually, I don't know, double-check statements that you're making. This is crazy in game development, and it very rarely happens, so it comes as no surprise to know... So, essentially, the claim he says here, he says that Dave Jones, whenever he goes to uh, E3, he announces within the same year that they're launching the game, and that this is crazy in game development because it very rarely happens. Can I trust this? Can I trust this statement? This is what I start to feel like when I watch people like this um, make YouTube videos, especially one that's supposed to answer the question as to why APB failed. Do I really know if it very rarely happens? Because in the music industry, it's actually very, very common. From a product standpoint, it's actually very, very common to launch and announce your product within the same year. Anybody in chat, feel free to, to disagree if you come from a, you know, some type of marketing, uh, maybe product development or even like management perspective, you'll likely agree that it's not very uncommon that you launch a product and also uh, announce it the same year. In fact, um, MMOs, it's not very common, which again, if he wanted to add a little bit of nuance to his critique here or his analysis, he would actually say that. He would specify, right? But he's keeping things as general as possible because by keeping things as general as possible, especially with his analysis, he doesn't have to do any research. Right? That's one. The key thing, he doesn't have to do any research. Second, he doesn't have to actually uh, be wrong because it's possible to take data and be wrong about it. Hence, you know, my channel. I'm not right about everything. I'm just taking the data and trying to inform my opinion as much as I possibly can. Doesn't mean that I'm right all the time. And certainly doesn't mean that I'm always right just because I'm using an actual point of data to explain my pers uh, perspective, rather. This is crazy in game development, and it very rarely happens, so it... Okay, so he's talking about how the game's unique because it's uh, got its customization, etc. One thing he constantly, constantly harps on in this video is he talks about them raising money. 
APB or the company in question, Real-Time Worlds, raising money. An announcement stating that Real-Time Worlds had raised over $50 million to go towards their projects, mainly meaning APB. For comparison... He then brings up a comparison crackdown. how Crackdown cost $20 million. To develop. So the initial funding for APB was already more than double the amount used to develop their previous game. And Crackdown... I'm sorry, guys. It's one of those days today. It is one of those days today. He non-ironically just inferred that because Crackdown had less than half the budget that was raised, which, by the way, that's not what raised means. He doesn't even understand what raising money means or funding means. But he's inferring that because Crackdown had half the budget, which is actually not half the budget of the game, but let's say it is, half the budget of the game, or near half the budget of the game, and and Crackdown performed better. 83, which is really good. So everything was looking great for this. I'm just trying, like, I'm, tr I'm trying to connect the dots here, and I'm just, I'm, can somebody help me here? Why is the budget being twice as big as Crackdown when Crackdown did pretty well on Metascore? How is any of this connected in any way, shape, or form? It's not. He's literally just implying that because Crackdown did well and the other game had more money than Crackdown, then it should also do well. If you ever try and tell that to somebody who has a modicum level of like business intelligence or business experience, they will laugh so unbelievably, like uncontrollably at you. It, it, it'll just be a, a really funny thing. Again, we have people on the channel, people who follow me, people who watch my Discord. We have accountants, we have investors, we have um, people who, who market, we have a guy who develops game, like Spectrum, he's developing his own game. Um, we have uh, programmers who, ha who have very high, you know, um, fees that they charge people. What I'm trying to say is we have some accomplished people and some really smart people in this community. And even if you're the dumbest person ever, I think you can understand the point that because something does well and something else has more money than that thing and it's developed by the same people doesn't then mean that that one does well and especially does well because it has more money. Instead, what he could explain is that it has more money because it's an MMO, right? So of course it's more expensive than Crackdown new endeavor. As time went on, nothing else was really said, and it seemed like a delay was unavoidable. At E3 2009, another trailer was shown for the game, and the release date was moved. One other thing that I want to bring up here, um, that I actually didn't even mention, I wrote this down in my notes, is the reason why this part right here is quite possibly the most crucial part of his video, and he doesn't even realize that, is what kind of has me afraid. And the reason why this has me afraid, before anybody thinks here that I'm trying to say that I'm better, or that I'm trying to like compete against this person or whatever else, right? My problem is that he's actually misinforming people and he's misinforming them by describing things and saying certain arguments in ways that sound like facts, but he's not actually, one, providing the facts to back up that claim. Two, has no interest in actually diving into certain actions. For example, why is raising $50 million actually very problematic? Anybody in chat, feel free to answer. But the simple answer is that because whenever you do a funding round or a seed of funding or attempt to get a, seed, a seeded funding, sorry, um, that essentially means that I'm walking up to a group of investors, people who have a lot of money, and I'm saying, 
hey, here's my idea, but I need more money in order to get this to work. So I will trade to you my equity in my company and you will give me money. Or in some cases, like you see on Shark Tank, sometimes like Kevin O'Leary will say, I'll give you a royalty deal. Or you just got to pay me $100,000 plus the 8% interest. You just got to pay me 16% interest or whatever else, right? This kind of stuff happens. And so whenever you raise a lot of money, it inevitably means that now you have what's called a board introduced into your company. That generally is what happens whenever you start a funding round. You create a board of trustees, right? These are, uh, these are essentially the shareholders, the people who have the majority of the uh, money and, and, and own the majority of the company. Um, of course, uh, APB or sorry, Real Time Worlds is going to have its own board member, which is probably David Jones or whatever else. But what this means now is that let's say to raise this $50 million, APB or Real Time Worlds had to give up 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% of their company, which by the way, very common in business, happens all the time. Majority of companies that exist out there, especially the big publishers, they are not owned by a company. They're owned by a conglomerate of people. <laughs> There's many, many, many people who have a lot of stakes. Look at Vivendi. Vivendi used to own a large stake in, in Ubisoft and um, Blizzard. And um, uh, what else did they own? Vivendi, uh, they, they owned one other company. Not owned, sorry, but they had a large majority of another company as well. Point being is that I... As a creator or as a businessman, if I'm trying to get more money for my product or for my game, I'm going to need to convince people to fund me. In order to convince them, the thing that I have to promise to them is that they'll get their ROI, right? Their return on their investment. The only way that I can guarantee that, um, which by the way, doesn't really exist, but the only way that I can guarantee that to some extent is by giving them stake in the company and even maybe a majority stake. That way that they can make large uh, decisions, they have more board members, maybe they can actually make the majority of the decisions in certain regards. That's what all of this means. Now, the reason why this becomes so problematic for APB, as I detailed in my video on the, on the, on the topic, is that it introduces a lot of bureaucracy in regards to how the company functions. It creates a whole ex executive branch. And I mentioned it from employee testimonials where they said that after this happened, it changed the culture. Now the office wasn't just that little office who did um, crackdown. Now they were this big conglomerate type of company. That essentially meant that they had so much riding on the success of APB. And so when APB failed and failed like in two months, they already had to shut down. Think about that. It did not take them long at all to have to close doors. Why is that? Because they were already in the hole. They already put all of this money into the game. And shareholders and investors, they want their money back, okay? They're not, they don't, I believe in APB as a product. It's like, no, give me my money back. That's what the investors were saying after it failed, give me my money. And so real-time worlds had to do the most rational thing, which is shut the game down, right? And, and dissolve the company because they sold their stake, they got their money's worth or whatever else, they sold the assets to gamers first. And then obviously gamers first then took over the game and made it free to play. I just took five to 10 minutes to explain to you why this one, this one single action was so pivotal. And he explained it in like five to eight seconds. Or sorry, he mentioned it in five to eight seconds and gave it no more thought. And this is like the single biggest part of why things fail. Because when there's more money on the line, when your shareholders are expecting their ROIs, when people want their damn money, right? When, to put it simply, when people want their damn money and they don't get it, they get a little bit scared that, oh no, maybe I made a bad investment. 
So they want to sell out as fast as they possibly can. What likely happened is whoever invested owned a majority stake of real-time worlds, and that was probably the largest reason why they had to shut down so quickly, right? Sure, as to what they would be charging for the game yet. Then another announcement was... Okay, he's talking about the business model, um, which, course, of course... Which super hefty. Okay. For the 20th time in the video, he mentions the size of the budget and then remarks about how it's super hefty. ...budget. And unless things turned around rather quickly, real-time worlds would have a huge problem on their hands. The game felt unfinished and rushed. It wasn't the best looking, and there were tons of glitches and bugs that appeared everywhere for players. Plus, there were some sketchy business practices that happened to real-time worlds. They placed a review embargo where nobody can put reviews out for the game until around after a week after the game launched. By the way, this, this has happened during that time of when it was trying to launch. This happens all the time. Like, even Richard Garriott was saying himself that companies wanted to start doing this because they wanted to use the publicity from an open beta, but they didn't want to take any of the actual criticism, right? So this is something that's obviously existed for a long time. The reason why it's significant that he keeps bringing up what the budget is and even brings it up in the video is it's essentially shock value. He's trying to let you know $100 million is so much money. Oh my God, $100 million. Why is $100 million significant though? Because it's $100 million. No, no, no. There's reasons it's significant, right? It's significant because obviously um, you can have a discussion if it was that money spent, um, was that money spent properly? No, I, I covered APB. I know it wasn't. There's, there's literal testimony from people who worked at the company who said there was useless red tape. We would um, send in something. It would get reviewed by like the suit team, a.k.a. the business team, as I mentioned. You know, I call them the suits versus the artists. They would review it, send it back, and then basically ask to get it completely redone. And so to explain that process to somebody, imagine you're a programmer and you're working on a piece of code and you give it to me. And I'm the suit in this scenario. I'm the one that kind of oversees you. I don't really know coding, by the way. I don't really know coding. I just can kind of like get like a general understanding of something. So imagine it takes you 20 hours to do something. It takes me five to 10 hours to review it. Um, let's say five hours to review it. And then it takes me more time to, to maybe talk to other people, talk to people who know more than I do, because I'm obviously not a programmer in this case. I'm just the business guy. I'm the guy um, who understands management. Maybe I'm a manager, right? Now imagine after all of that time, your 20 hours now turns into 40 hours that it took you. Except now, when I get back to you, I tell you, you got to start all the way over again. That's the problem in major companies, right? They have this problem all the time. There's too much red tape. There's too much bureaucracy where you have, there's too many checks and balances to where it's essentially not effective to have to check every single little thing that somebody's doing. But that's something that APB suffered from because, again, they, they, the investors didn't know how games worked. So they basically treated it like it was a normal company and added a bunch of red tape to things. You see how this is problematic? This, again, is why it's important to explain why $100 million is, is significant. It's not that it was $100 million because as we already have mentioned, that's not that um, large in comparison to other large MMOs. The reason why the $100 million amount is so crazy in APB's case is because they hemorrhaged a lot of that money. <laughs> but he never even says that in the whole video. <laughs> and I mean, there was really no... He said the company starts to financially struggle. Why are, they, why are they struggling? Because of the investment? And people want their money back? Right? And then for some reason, he brings up like, 
And the money is the same to the same amount as the budget given to Flint, Michigan by the EPA for their water problem. So an unsuccessful end product will obviously result in some financial losses. This continued, and on August 17th, 2010, Realtime Worlds was placed into administration, which is extremely similar to bankruptcy in the United States. They began to search for a buyer for the company in order to keep everything running. But while all of this was going on, the game did continue to run, and the company did operate as normal. The game was still playable, but the clock started ticking to see how quickly Realtime Worlds could solve this problem. Right. Unfortunately, there. the situation didn't work out very well, and the studio ended up closing on the 16th of September 2010, just a few months after the launch of APB. As stated by a representative of the studio, APB had been a fantastic journey, but unfortunately that journey has to come to a premature end. To work okay. that had been going on for five years was officially over. The company closed down, and new developers planned on making the game a true free-to-play game with no pay-to-win aspect and taking over APB. The company that did end up purchasing it was known as Gamers First, and they planned for a remake and relaunch in 2011. It... These new developers planned on making the game Fair a enough. true free-to-play game with no pay-to-win aspects or stupid subscription plans. And the fans of that's so that's not true. But again, this is a perfect example of where he takes something that's normative, aka opinion, and he's passing it off like it's like it's actually true. In 11, these new developers planned on making the game a true free-to-play game with no pay-to-win aspects or stupid subscription plans. That's uh, where is this proven? Please provide me with statistics or or some level of quote. Provide me where they said that exactly, because I guarantee they would never make such a dumb fucking claim. Just, they would never make such a dumb claim to be like, we're not going to make it, um, you know, none of that subscription only kind of stuff. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Right. That, that, that doesn't make sense from any any realistic marketing perspective, but he's adding that as commentary and then passing it off as if, as if that's actually true. It's not, right? A, a company doesn't want to have to deal with uh, all of the backlash. They'll try and not talk about it as much as they possibly can. Reloaded launched in December of 2011 on Steam. It looked much better than the previous game, and the free-to-play model would take away a lot of the complaints that existed before. When paying for a no, it No, it didn't. A free-to-play model wouldn't take away the majority of the criticism of the game because the majority of the criticism of the game was actually centered around one simple thing that he has yet to mention within 12 minutes of this video that he created. Unreal Engine 3. He, he never mentions it a single time, even though it's actually in the article that he shows on screen. Check this out. This is how lazy the research is for this video and how it can fucking mislead people and how, just frankly, you know, me assuming my new identity... As a video game journalist, because that's what I'm doing, and you guys will know so soon enough, I'll make a big announcement. I will explain exactly what that means to everybody. Check this out. In this video, it says right here, Unreal 3. It literally says it. It says it in the video, dude. Or Sorry, it says it in the article. He never actually even says that. The biggest issue with APB is the engine. <laughs> Watch the game, dude. <laughs> Look. Watch. Tell me the first thing that you don't notice with this game on their PS4 or PS3 launch is unreal. Look at this. Tell me if this gameplay looks normal to you guys. No hit detection there. It's not even getting the collision, right? Objects are teleporting. Right? We can see all of these problems on screen. I'm not really sure what these guys are doing here. Oh, and if you've played the game already, 
and if you haven't it's free so go play it and get your own opinion on it but i've i've obviously played it and i was an alpha so i was playing it even back then it was so unbelievably unplayable for me because at the time i didn't have a god tier pc that i literally just stopped playing and following the game that's actually the main reason why i didn't play the game at launch was just simply because it was unplayable to me like, look at this look at the frame lag just because he opened one door he just he just dropped like 30 fps that's just in a five second video that I just pulled up on YouTube, right? And I mean, of course, I can pull this up a PC version and you will see very similar issues still existing in the game. This is a PC version. Looks much better, but notice the texture pop in. Watch this, guys. Look at, look at the textures here. They're, they're, they're so low res, it's hard to even see like what the fuck you're looking at. Now look at the texture on this, uh, on this right here. I guarantee this is because it didn't load in. But, but, but look at the textures here. This is on a PC game, okay? One that was supposed to be quite revolutionary in the way that it looked. It, it doesn't... You see, you see the clipping? Right? Again, this could be that person's graphical settings. But let's say HD. Let's say if I, I look up as good of gameplay as I possibly can. I mean, shit. I can just pull up my own damn video. My, my, my old... Uh, Voiceovers are horrible, by the way. This is one of the videos that I most certainly will be redoing. See if I can find... Okay. So driving in this game, you notice how that car is driving right there? That's actually how it feels to drive in this game. This guy is not actually a bad driver. He's driving, the, he's driving how you normally would drive in such a game. Watch this. You see how he can't make the turn? It's not because he's a bad driver. Trust me, guys. Go try and play this game. It's because cars in APB, because of likely Unreal Engine 3, handle like they're boats. And that's one of the largest criticisms of the game's engine. Is it, It's like everything feels so damn heavy and clunky, right? Again, very simple things that you can t take, you know, just a couple minutes to even just figure that out. It looked much better than the previous game. and the He never mentioned a single time model what the engine was. The complaints that existed before. The largest complaints are performance-based. Again, feel free to, to read through these 31,000 comments. Majority of them will be based around either business plan, uh, by the way, which APB reloaded, you know, aka Gamers First, uh, immediately introduced into the game. So they never communicated that they wouldn't make the game pay to win um, or certainly weren't completely obvious about that um, because I don't think they would. If you make guns viable you always had intentions of monetizing the game. And considering that Gamers First is a subsidiary of a free-to-play, uh, I think they're one of those companies that buy games out and then make them free-to-play. At least, I mean, they don't. Gamers First doesn't exist anymore. But they're essentially trying to make money, right? They take old games, old IPs, make them free-to-play, add a bunch of microtransactions, and hope that even if they continue to exist in some like small level of success, they can keep milking it, milking it, milking it. And then in the case of Little Orbit, somebody buys the game back from them again. So hey, they made extra money. Gamers First did really good business in regarding to, uh, in regards to APB Reloaded. Today, original the standards were set a little bit for free. If you pay for it, you want to get your okay, first now five listen to this point. Known as APB Reloaded launched in December of 2011 on Steam. It looked much better than the previous game, and the free-to-play model would take away a lot of the complaints that existed before. When paying for a game, you have a lot higher of expectations than if you're playing it for free. If you pay for it you want to get your money's worth so usually the standards are set a lot higher but since this was a free-to-play game the standards were set a little bit lower which did allow for a little bit more leniency in the game this new can someone explain to me what that even means 
What does he mean by which did allow for a little bit more leniency in the game? He's literally just saying whatever generally sounds true. But once again, there's no way that he can back up any of the claims that he makes. And they seem so poor informed because even he himself is not willing to research anything on the topic. Okay. And then the video ends right here at 11.22. I'm hoping that the current developers will take it and put some serious work into it, making it into something great. But like I said, there's really no way to know. This new version would last much longer days. Okay, he talked about the new version, APB Reloaded. Guess what he never mentioned? What's literally on fucking screen. Read this. Little Orbit. At the time that he made this video, Little Orbit had already purchased APB Reloaded. So he's still pretending it's gamers first and still re uh, relating to it as like gamers first APB Reloaded game. It's not the same game anymore. It's actually changed hands now, you know, a total of three times, right? The main developers, Gamers First, aka subsidiary of Reloaded Productions, and then now Little Orbit, which is a new company who's stepped in and wants to redo the engine. For no mention of Little Orbit, no mention of them trying to update the engine to 3.5 or 4.0 Unreal, no mention of Unreal. Can someone please tell me what reason he outlined for being the failure of this game? That's, that's all I really want to understand from you guys. But the purpose of this exercise is to understand the way analysis works and what analysis actually is, right? Can somebody please tell me what his opinion is on this? Like, what did he actually tell me in here? What was the reason that he told me that the game failed? Because many games have had poor and weird looking business models and have done just fine, right? Subscription MMOs still work in Korea, for example even though that that's not a market for subscription-based MMOs, at least not nearly as it used to be, right? What reason did he tell me that the game failed? Or you, as a, as a viewer. Again, feel free to watch this video. Um, give him more views, more money. No, I'm just kidding. But um, take the time to you know, know that I'm obviously not trying to make you feel or think anything in, in particular. Feel free to form your own thoughts about what the video is trying to communicate to you. I, I honestly don't know. I, I mean, I, I took... The, if you look at my little notes here, this is how much time I spent going through this. You know, let's count how many words I, I spent here. About 100, you know, about 200 words. I spent about 200 words talking about this. This was the amount of analysis that I took from his 12-minute video, right? I couldn't actually find what his other points were. I couldn't actually, like, understand the main point he was trying to make. So it was funny because when I showed this to my girlfriend, who obviously listens to me rant endlessly about things about video games, thank you, uh, by the way, <laughs> for doing that. But she told me, she's like, wait, that's, um, that's all that you got from it? And I said, well, it, that's my analysis of 12 minutes, which actually isn't 12 minutes. He spends the first minute describing um, something not even completely related at all. And then he spends the last minute um, telling people an ad. Actually, the last two minutes uh, telling people an ad. So three minutes subtracted from this video. It's a nine minute video with 200 words of analysis. This is what's being sold and packaged to people. I say sold as in like ad revenue, sorry. It's being packaged and, and given to people and they're essentially none the wiser as to if they're learning anything or not learning anything. The reason why I take issue with this in particular, um, oops. <laughs> The reason why I take issue with this in particular, guys, is because it's misleading. It's not actual journalists, journalism, and it, and it 
masquerades as it, right? It's it's answering a question about a postmortem. It's telling you why something is failing without actually telling you anything why it's failing or providing actual actual analysis. If you don't understand what I'm saying or if I seem like I'm just being pedantic here, I have a little bit of an exercise. This is homework for you guys. Remember, I'm your teacher here. Here's some homework. Homework for you guys is to take a random subject that you know next to nothing about and watch an expert talk about it. Here's one thing you'll notice. That person will say things, obviously, you didn't know, and they'll say things that you might have never known had he not said it. Now, the easiest thing in this experiment or homework assignment that you can do, yes, homework, don't worry, guys, don't worry. It's good homework. It's fun homework. It's easy. All the homework that you're doing is just you're watching a random video about a random subject that you don't know anything about. If after that video, you think that your opinion based on reading the accounts of the data or the events is just as informed as the expert giving their opinion, they're not an expert and they're not actually providing any analysis. If you feel like with no knowledge, no actual research or knowledge, you can make the same uh, intuitive leap that somebody else can, it means there actually isn't any leap. There isn't any actual analysis. Can we stop calling these people video game essayists or whatever the hell we're calling them? Like Clean Prince Gaming as well. It's certainly not journalism. It's certainly not analysis. So please don't put analysis anywhere near these people because they don't analyze anything, don't care about anything. If you're going to talk about why something fails and you're not even willing to mention that the engine, which is Unreal 3, guys, one of the most publicly denounced engines, especially for MMOs, less online, Ascent Project uh, Infinite Realm. I mean, have you guys heard of these games? They have like 30 FPS in, in a city, 20 FPS in a city in 2018. You guys remember Gears of War? All of the bugs, all of the clipping, all of the texture popping? Unreal 3, right? Unreal 3 had a lot of very documented issues. The, the, that's all I'm trying to say, okay? If you think that your analysis is just as good as RoboCostas after watching this video, that means that he didn't actually analyze anything. He literally just read what happened and then said a couple what people refer to as truisms, which are essentially things that are very hard to disprove. For example, overreaching. How do you prove that? By what, by what shape, form? You know, um, This game costs more, therefore is better. It's kind of like a hard thing to quantify, right? You'd have to, I don't know, Take five seconds to do what I did, pull up Google, and then look at the first thing that came up and just like go down a list. That's all I'm trying to say. If in that little bit of exercise that we just did now, those two exercises that I brought, the homework one that I just mentioned now and the previous one where I just literally Googled most expensive games of all time, if that's the amount of re uh, research that I need in order to realize that this person isn't researching, I don't know what to say about the rest of his content. That's all I'm saying. So thank you, Dynamics BRD, for showing me this video. And uh, I appreciate that. And I hope that you guys, at least today, if you take anything away from that, just take away uh, from the fact that first, if there actually isn't any analysis done, just be careful how much you entrust in certain people. They, they look to mislead you, and they don't even necessarily care if you're misled, right? They don't necessarily care. If people come away from this saying, oh, $100 million in a game is bad. It's probably this guy's fault, right? Because he said $100 million like six fucking billion times during the video. To in emphasize $100 million, $100 million, $100 million. The good thing is, and I'll pull up the YouTube comments here, 
in, in the name of, uh, oh, whoops, that's not the one that I wanted. What, wait, what happened to my other browser source? Hmm. Why is it, why is it showing this monitor now? I don't know what is what is wrong with this dang display capture today. Uh, I need to delete this other one. The other one came back. There it goes. Sorry about that. Uh, let's let's look at the comments. In the name of Limpos, let's look at the comments here. I'm going to organize my newest. Oh, first off, let's organize my top first so you can all be fucking... If this doesn't scare you about society, I, I think you just, you're not an empathetic person. Or you're just not someone who particularly cares about the well-being of people's like mental capacities. Because when you look at the top comments here, what's up, Lions? If you look at the top comments here, people essentially react as if nothing happened. Nothing. Nothing happens here. No one is calling out any of the stuff that he's saying, right? Nobody's saying, wait, what about the research? You never even mentioned the engine. Wait about what you never even mentioned that gamers first sold it to Little Orbit. None of this is mentioned, right? This guy even thinks that he's making a salient point by saying, it requires a subscription. Yeah, as he didn't actually explain in the video or even in the title, it's an MMO. APB is in an actual it's an actual MMO, right? Now let's just or let's go by newest first. The good news is, as much as I talk shit. There are some good comments here. Check this out. 16 minutes ago, this guy states, the maker of this video seems to have made this video without experiencing why the game failed. He mentions how the game was lagging, how there was so much cheating, how they refused to listen to their player base, how they banned people for cheating, or sorry, refused to ban people for cheating, how aimbots were very prevalent in the game. He talked about how the subscription was not an issue for him, right? This guy responds with, you didn't explain why. Right? Scroll down. I'm just trying to see if there's any like sanity left in the YouTube comments. That's why I do these exercises. Not for my own sanity. Because it actually does want to drive you crazy. What? This guy said that EA screwed it up. So this guy essentially invented an issue that was never there. He said that EA had screwed it up. Yeah. Hmm. There was one more comment. I can't really remember finding it, but uh, it was a really, really funny one. He says, I have no opinion on the subscription model. In the video, literal quote, precedes it with, with no stupid subscription plans. This guy caught that that was his personal bias that he passed off as a fact. Do you understand the problem here, guys? <laughs> Can you link that um, thread, please, Dynamics? Just for, for shits and giggles. By the way, this is the point. If you guys haven't already left at this point, if you don't want to get into the absurd levels of uh, meta-analysis, you should have left long ago. But <laughs> stay with me if you want to talk about some fun stuff. But do you see what my point is here? How somebody essentially realizes that he made a claim that is not true. He said that, look, I'm not biased. 
I don't think that subscription models are inherently bad. And then proceeds it with stupid subscription models to which he literally outs himself and admits, you got me. Do you guys understand why I'm doing this video this weekend? Sorry about that, iDynamics. I don't know which moderator's here, but uh, mom will kill me if I skip class again. <laughs> uh, I linked it. Uh, I'll click it now. Sorry about that. Okay, it has 762 upvotes. Really enjoyed it until the crash cash grab people took it on. Okay. I really dislike this Wikipedia sourced introspectives about failing games because they don't even come close to address the core issues. Marketing, he talks about marketing, how it was wishy-washy. Mentioned that in my video as well. Talked about uh, David Jones not being some like pariah or messiah rather. Um, talked about the technical side, AKA Unreal. Even this guy doesn't even mention Unreal. All he has to do is say, okay, he says it up here. All you gotta do is say Unreal 3. <laughs> That's all you gotta do, Unreal 3. Performance issues, Unreal 3. Uh, texture popping, Unreal 3. Feels janky and fucking heavy as shit, Unreal 3. I can only tell you how horrible driving felt by comparing it to the feeling that you're trying to remote control drive a vehicle within a thousand millisecond delay half the world away. He never mentioned that a single time. This is, in my opinion, the biggest issue with the game is the engine, right? So it's good to see that people are being kind of critical of this. Um, I watched the game to see why it failed. And yeah, essentially he never. Oh, thank you. Somebody mentioned my game. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys mentioning me. This was not an ad for me. I appreciate that dynamic. But um, I just want you guys to take something away from this, okay? You don't have to feel sorry for me. This is what I'm competing against. This is what we're competing against. You guys are part of my team, okay? We're competing against the same thing, which is the essential belief that we're not going to give up actually having to explain criticism. We will never give that up because if that ceases to exist, there's no reality anymore. <laughs> There's no sense of reality anymore. We don't know it's true anymore, right? We don't take the time to explain why this and this is bad. We'll blanket hate things that we shouldn't hate or shouldn't even logically um, dislike, but maybe because it was handled wrong one single time. Uh, Tashgun asks, uh, asked me a really good question. He says, do you think those people realize they are misleading or lazy? It's lazy. I, it's lazy, but I, I treat it as if they're misleading on purpose, Tash. And the reason is because when he himself is literally admitting that he was biased in the video, but he's he's admitting it in an offhand way, I don't think you guys understand how catastrophic this would be if this was, say, for example, like, not to make things pu up um, political here, but if it was like some presidential like investigation or like some assassination investigation. Imagine if one of the people involved in it said, well, he had it coming. Imagine. Imagine that. Like the amount of fucking backlash that, that person would get. Or imagine if somebody was like, oh, well, you know, he was kind of a shit president anyway. It's like. It's someone dying, dude. It's still a crime. <laughs> like, but you can't just hand wave things and just be like, oh, it's whatever. Like. I'm not biased, or I'm biased, whatever, it's not a big deal. No, you're, you're essentially teaching people incorrectly to hate things without even knowing why. Why is the subscription model 
um, seen as kind of bad in some cases. Because games can offer the amount of content that $15 warrants. That's it. It's simple, okay? Subscription models all exist and they will always exist because if you can make a game that warrants me spending 10 to $15 on, I will spend 10 to $15 until the day I die. I think we can all agree that. Uh, agree with that. If we play a game that is so fun that it's worth $15 an hour, which by the way, in some countries is literally dinner. In some countries, it's lunch and dinner combined, but it's still not a large amount of money that it's completely out of the market, right? What if I told you that by playing a free-to-play game, you actually spend more money than a sub game you would spend? It's already been proven. It shouldn't be revolutionary for you to understand that, right? Many games that have made subscription changes to free-to-play have only increased their revenue, right? Is it, because, is it because subscription is bad? No, it's not because subscription is bad. It's because MMOs are bad. They're making bad games that aren't warranted to pay $15 a month to play. APB's problem isn't that it had a sub. Its problem is that the game wasn't worth paying a sub for. <laughs> it's not even worth playing for free in some cases. Otherwise, it would have a very large population. GTA Online costs money to buy the damn game. It doesn't cost money to play APB. Why is it that GTA Online makes a hundred times the amount of money that APB does and has a hundred times the pop more than that, thousands of times the amount of population and money? It's even if I don't necessarily like it or play it, it's a better game. It's a better game. But I guarantee there's many people who would still pay a sub fee to play GTA Online. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying. Many people will often be quick to judge uh, business models as being the sole reasons why things don't do particularly well. When at the end of the day, if you pay or if you make something that is good, people will pay for it. That's the simple, simple, simple business answer, right? To such a situation. If you make something good enough, somebody is going to pay money for it. That's why they say, if you get good enough at something, never do it for free. That's two beers in some pubs here. Yeah, exactly. It's, this is why I, I wanted to bring this up. I'm going to make a video about this. This is honestly my, my live unadulterated thoughts. I spent a couple minutes picking through his video. I'm going to make a video. Don't worry, not right now. I need to finish this Rift one. And then I also am going to be filming live this weekend at uh, PAX Unplugged, as well as filming my big Patreon video. But next month, I'm going to make a video titled... I'm not sure about the title yet. It's a work in progress. You guys could work with me on it, but it's um, Clean Prince Gaming in the Rise of Video Game Essayists or Clean Prince Gaming in the Rise of Review or whatever the heck I'm going to call it. But I'm going to talk about Clean Prince Gaming. I'm going to talk about Downward Thrust. I'm going to talk about Robocost because all three of them make similar videos to me in the sense that they, they do postmortems of sorts, uh, sorry, of sort, but basically have next to no research in any of their videos. And they don't care, and they're widely successful. I think that's ethically wrong. I think if you're making money off of basically this, this crap, like this is not good in any objective way, it doesn't actually even answer the question, right? This personally, for me, it violates my ethics. So I'm making a video about it because I've, uh, I've, I've laid in wait for too long 
I've kind of kept my tongue while people like Robocost and um and what's his name? Uh, Clean Prince Gaming do similar videos as to the ones that I do, except that what ends up happening if I don't make a video where I literally take a fucking stick and draw my myself in the sand. Here's my line. This is where I'm going to be. If I don't do that, I get lumped in with Robocost. I get lumped in with Clean Prince Gaming. I get lumped with Downward Thrust. This already happens. I already have memes on my channel all the time. People saying it didn't die. It was. It was murdered, right? People say that all the time on my videos where it's like, you do realize I started my series before he started his, right? But because he's way more popular than I am, as is Robocost, they will often get seen as being the paragon, aka the shit stains of that given type of content, right? I, on the other hand, will get lumped in with them and then also get caught in the crossfire. So it's, yeah, it's gotten to the point where I finally just decided... I'm not going to take that shit anymore, okay? I will, exp- I, will, I will cleanly, calmly, and over the course of a 40-minute, 50-minute video, explain to everyone why these people are so fucking toxic for gaming, but also toxic for, for YouTube and just content creation in general. Because when you can profit off of being objectively wrong, I mean, like, there's cases where these guys have been literally wrong and have said actual misinformation. And they're profiting off of it. That's wrong to me. I don't want to live in a world where I can't even trust the information that I'm obtaining. Where I have to constantly be thinking, is this guy trying to like manipulate me? Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to constantly think about that. But you kind of have to in this current day and age. And uh, I'll do it for people. I'll take the time to go through all of their videos so you don't have to. (laughs) Cool some YouTube drama. Your channel's going to grow. It certainly will, and uh, I hope people don't get the wrong idea and think it's like a a vendetta that I have against them. It's just more so that this is something that I take very seriously and something that I very much enjoy doing. That's why I'm here still talking for three hours about, you know, stuff of this nature. It's something that I'm, uh, you know, revolving my, my life around, my career around, and I just can't stand that there's people out there who are just completely misleading people. They're creating fear rhetoric. They're creating, essentially, misinformation and as people were pointing out in chat, it's just because they're lazy. I don't even think it's malicious, but I treat it as malicious because its uh, ramifications are malicious in nature. That's why people say all sub games are bad. All sub uh, models are stupid. It's because of people like this, right? Who constantly regurgitate the same nonsense, which is not backed up by any you know, type of data because the most popular MMO in the world is still WoW and Lineage 1, and both games use sub-fees. Mic drop. Any of you guys have any questions uh, to go over before we end the podcast today? Thanks, but you've got the wrong guy. Hey, uh, Wish APB, I appreciate that, man. And hey, Wish APB, if, if uh, you're who I think you are, I hope APB makes a comeback with Little Orbit, man. I'll be right there to play it with you guys, if it's great. I, I think it's a great idea, and it certainly can be a good video. Um, or sorry, a good video game, but come on, Little Orbit, Little Orbit, let's do it, man. I just want to see it just from an interest perspective, you know, just to see if people can reboot games as I was talking about earlier or reboot MMOs, but I also just, I think APB is a better game than GTA Online already, even with its issues, like besides the the engine and the gameplay uh, rather, but I mean, it's core systems. I think it's a better game already, has more customization, has more things you can do in the game, 
has a bigger world, um, much bigger world, in fact, uh, has a better economy. It's not nearly as fucking terrible with its business model uh, and certainly wouldn't be now that Little Orbit has uh, uh, acquired it, which, you know, is generally a company who does business models way more fair than others do. Little Orbit in the house. They need to pop as many videos as possible in the shortest amount of time, hence the low effort. Exactly, John. And that's my biggest problem with it. May I suggest focusing on why you're good at what you do as opposed to why other people are bad at it? I mean, hmm. That's, I'm willing to have that discussion. In fact, we could even have that in a private discussion, Goosey, because you're somebody who's followed my content for a while. That's one that I'm willing to have a discussion about. Unfortunately, I think that if I made a video that talks about how great my videos are, it would just make me look like an asshole. Unreal 3.5 setback till spring. <sighs> yeah, that, that kind of sucks, but spring, I can wait till spring. I've been waiting a while. I can wait till spring. Yeah, no, I, I'd be willing to have that discussion, Goosey, because I'm just, my, my girlfriend talked about this with me personally. She kind of said, like, what if, do you have to make it as much about them? And I was like, Honestly, I kind of have to because like I think if it's too much about me, people will get the wrong idea for it. The the video that I want to make after our Patreon uh, funding round is is like the uh, I mentioned it, it's our fir first uh, Patreon goal, which is um well, it's one of our first Patreon goals. We have many goals to come, which you guys will know about next month, but um merry early Christmas sort of thing, but uh those sorts of things are he can't do that when people are literally saying his videos are like Robocast. Yeah. Respect the man's will to fight. <laughs> Well, if there's one thing I'm very fortunate about, Meowth, it's that um, I've been in many a physical tussle and I train, you know, when I'm not uh, nursing a torn meniscus on a regular basis. So any actual fighting, that's the uh, actual fighting will make me nervous. Discussing an idea or discussing why somebody's video is bad or why maybe I'm right in a certain way uh, on a particular point, I can do that with my eyes closed. Because I believe that you should always be willing to stick by whatever you believe in and what you're willing to say, especially if you're a public figure. But that's just my view of it. I think we're kind of reaching the end here. I appreciate the, the sub, though. We're now up to 35 subs, by the way. Let me update that on screen. Somebody's been mentioning me. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, uh, Card is going to show us a humorous video. This is the last meme for the day. All real professionals carry their pistol on their right hip. They do? All of them? Well, let me think. I've carried a pistol professionally and not always on my right hip. I've seen a lot of police officers that use shoulder holster or ankle holster or what have you. And then there's that pesky thing that, you know, some people are left-handed and carry it on their left hip. So he makes this just blanket outlandish statement that is completely false. Hey, this guy and I could relate. He's literally just made the exact same point that I made about Robocost. Essentially, you're saying things that seem like they're true, but they're not the least bit true. Yeah, I won't watch the rest of it. I'll watch it on my own time. I appreciate that card. But uh, I, yeah, it does look like maybe... People would have to be willing to at least sit there a little bit here. But this this minor little point, listen to the point he makes here. L listen to how simple this is. And I'll leave you guys with this. This is your homework. I've carried a pistol professionally and not always on the right. All real professionals carry their pistol on their right hip. That right there, the claim he just made, 
is described as a, or it's, it sounds like a descriptive claim, AKA it is the truth. But as you can see in his like furrowed brow here, he's trying to understand how it's possibly true when many people are left-handed, for example. So how, what do you mean always in your right holster, right? So he's, he's essentially realizing that someone who's saying something like a descriptive claim is actually making a normative claim. And that's why his brow is that furrowed. You see that? They do? All of them? Well, let me think. I've carried a pistol professionally and not always on the right hip. I've seen a lot of police officers. Personal anecdote, but very, very valid in this case. Used right? If someone's going to speak for you, you might as well be willing to speak your piece. Or ankle holster or what have you. And then there's that pesky thing that, you know, some people are left-handed and carry it on their left hip. So he makes this just blanket outlandish statement that is completely false. And that got me thinking, well, what are the warning signs of someone who's pretending to be an expert? And I came up with my top five list of red flags that should tell you that you're dealing with somebody who is either lying to you trying to convince you they're an expert when they're not, or lying to themselves trying to convince themselves they're an expert when they're not. So in no particular order, the top five are... First, someone who speaks absolutely authoritatively on something that not only does he not know, but he's not in a position that he even would know. Check. Robocos, Clean Prince Gaming, Downward Thrust. Check. Right? They're, they're coming across as being experts in a, in a given field of sorts, right? I'm going to tell you why APB failed. I'm going to tell you why Battlefront 2 was not just, or didn't just fail. It was murdered. I do the same thing. Which is why I actually take the time to actually maybe provide some evidence to explain my arguments. So all of you don't just say, wait a minute, that's just your opinion. He's never seen it done, never tried to do it himself, hasn't seen a YouTube video on it, hasn't done the research. I mean, he's just not in a position that he'd know one way or the other, but seems to be convinced that he does. Example, I'm talking to a couple of people, one of which is a very bright, inquisitive guy, but he knows virtually nothing about guns. And he says to me, hey, Paul, what would happen if you loaded, let's say, a 270 cartridge with black powder? Now, that's an interesting question. But before I could even answer him, somebody pops off and says, Well, the bullet wouldn't even get out the end of the barrel! <laughs> so I then have to go through the dissertation of explaining, you know all those cartridges in the 1870s and 1880s, like 45 Colt, 4440, 4570, the list goes on? He you makes know all a good those point. loaded with black powder. <laughs> oh, so then he has to admit that he didn't know. And you think, well, if you didn't know, what made you so convinced that you did? Well, why now, not? On my right? Is why not just pretend you're an expert? And all too often does. Quote the ballistics chart, chapter and verse. He has memorized all the velocities, the energy foot pounds, how much it's going to drop at a given distance. This is the fear of somebody who's too quick to bring up certain points of evidence, right? You do want a little bit of opinion because you want somebody to have the ability to kind of wander off the reservation. And what I mean by that is that they, they delineate between what is criticism, sorry, what is their opinion versus what is actually stated and what is evidence. So it's very clear to be like, here's evidence and here's my opinion about the evidence. And he will quote. But if you're if you're constantly mixing them together, I know everything because I remember the book, you know, front to back. You can mislead people, obviously. Quote this like it is gospel. Again, case in point, I'm talking to a group of people and the subject comes up of 4570. And I said, well, generally speaking, there's a lot of different 4570 loads, but what would be considered most typical is a 405 grain bullet going about 1300 feet per second. Somebody corrects me and says it's not 1300, it's actually 1330. The textbook answer from the Remington ballistics chart. But he doesn't take into consideration, you know, I didn't mention a brand name. Different companies have different velocities for their ammunition. And he seems to know so little about the subject that he hasn't taken into consideration that, you know, the variation from one cartridge to the next is quite often more than 30 feet per second. And he didn't think about things like all that stuff that can affect your velocity, ambient temperature, barometric. Basically, what he's trying to infer here is the second uh, example that he brought up here. Um, let, let's, let's actually take the time to do some more homework here. For you guys who are going to stay after. This is extra credit, all right? Extra credit for you guys. 
I'll give you some extra credit. I'll let you know something juicy about something coming up. Extra credit. So the extra credit here are what are his uh, five points. His first point is... Hey, thanks. They make wrong, claims they can't support. To know how to fight with my hands. And act as an expert, right? I appreciate that. Uh, Killed like a sir. Thank you for the Twitch Prime subscription. We're, we're getting close, man. I'm surprised. I didn't think that we could get to 50 this year, but it looks like we might get there. Uh, we're, we're up to 36 out of 50 subs. Thank you, everybody, for subbing. Um, we're getting so close. Then you guys will have to make me start wearing an outfit, and I won't be able to wear these cool t-shirts anymore. You can buy on Teespring slash Nerdslayer or whatever. The link is somewhere, listed somewhere. I don't shill my stuff, but you're more than welcome to support me if you like to wear this kind of clothes. Okay, and the second point he brings up is the person who... Okay, so I want to say this in a way where I'm not trying to sound offensive, but this is often referred to as an autistic person. An autistic person is essentially somebody who takes the logic of a scenario <clears throat> and then assumes all things remain equal. And what I mean by this is that they literally think that because they've seen stuff uh, work this way in a controlled environment, it will always work that way. But as the guy explains in the video, yeah, but even between two different cart cartridges, you could have the variance of 30 to 40 feet. Or yards, I'm not sure exactly what measurement he said, but he, what he's trying to say is that even amongst different boxes of ammo, there's differences. So I wouldn't be so quick to assume that they're all the same, right? Again, sorry for those who are actually autistic, because you, um, unfortunately, have, <laughs> you have a condition which people often use as an insult. Um, but also use as a means of describing a scenario in which you're essentially taking out any context. It's um, Destroyer Archer. Would you agree with this? Um, uh, you you just in, uh, implied that you're autistic. Would you agree with the um, classification of an autistic person essentially being somebody who kind of doesn't actually understand maybe the social ramifications or possible context of a given situation unless they actually learn it, for example? I think that's a fair, that's a fair um, assessment, but let me know if I'm being unfair. Like, I'm, I'm being serious. I don't want to insult you or anybody. I'm somebody who suffers from PTSD, so... I, I would never want to um, minimize anybody's trauma or uh, personal scenarios or mental health or whatever else. Pressure, elevation, and a big one, barrel length. You know, with my 4570 carbine, 1330, I typically, with this Remington ammunition, get velocities of 1100 and change because it has a short barrel. I love you, dude. And not only all of that, he hasn't taken into consideration that the guns that are used to create the numbers in that chart are not... Yeah. desperate to be considered an expert and look like he knows what he's talking about but just by virtue that he says that demonstrates that he doesn't know very much about real shooting at all this is what i'm trying to in, in, imply here just because you know the the book you know front and backwards doesn't actually mean you know how to in an actual scenario fire a gun to to the correct uh level that you need to fire it at right not like we're trying to get Kakona here, as Ludens is uh, implying here. I know guns might not necessarily be an interesting topic for some people, but he brings up really good points here. Now, don't get me wrong. The ballistics chart is a good tool. It is good information. It's something you should exactly, read. Exactly. But there. it was not written by the apostles. Now, the third guy on my list... Is it was written by guys like him, right? It was written by other guys like him. Just normal people. Kind of the opposite of that. He's the just-as-powerful guy. That he, for whatever reason, has some kind of off-brand or obscure gun or cartridge, and he's kind of defensive about it. 
I had one. You could get them for virtually nothing at the time. Well, I knew a guy that had one, and I think he was a little defensive about it, so he had to say that it was just as powerful as a 30-06. Well, if you look at the two cartridges, the 303 is pretty close to the 30-06 in size, and sure. it is, if you use the same bullet weight in both, pretty close in power. The 303 is a potent round. But if you look at the ballistics chart, no, it doesn't quite measure up to a 30-06. It's close, but not quite there. And I had the very unpleasant experience of watching this guy say how it was just as powerful. So somebody else, different guy, somebody else brought in the ballistics chart and shows him, no, it's not as powerful. And they go back and forth with this, neither of them taking into consideration things like, what kind of rifle are you talking about? Does he have the typical 303 rifle or does he have that jungle carbine with a much shorter barrel? And compared to a 30-06 of what make and model with what barrel length? What he's saying is that whenever you're trying to have comparison arguments, you can't always just rely on the perfect situation, a.k.a. what the manual says that there's tons of levels of variance within the actual, uh, you know, assessment, like, process or whatever, right? You're not just looking at two different bullets and being like, well, this one's bigger, so this one obviously hits harder and has, like, better ballistics. It's like, well, I'm sure there's other um, concerns. For example, wind. For example, uh, how far away your target is, what sort of round you're using, or sorry, uh, what sort of gun you're using. As he said, even, you know, to the level that I don't have the expertise to explain, but he, he said... Um, the length of the barrel or something like that. And it became kind of a painful process to watch. And you see that kind of thing in the just as powerful guy. Sometimes when people are in a certain financial position or whatever, they can't run out and buy the latest, greatest thing. And they end up with some fairly cheap guns and they can get defensive about them. And I that right there is, is also shown in, in MMOs. For example, people who played like Alads online, right? Or people who played like uh, co different WoW copycats. Well, go to the grave telling you that their WoW copycat game is so great and amazing. But it's in some cases, it's because it's free. It's the only game they can play, especially like Allods is, is off, or is it Runes of Magic that's called the Russian? Runes of Magic, I believe, is the one that's called the Russian WoW. I would tell you, no, don't do that. If you're in a position where you're relegated to having not the latest, newest, coolest thing, then that's perfectly okay. For example, but you don't have to make an argument that it's then better. I think that's the point that he's trying to make there. Just because you're, unfortunately, maybe you can only afford to use a, a, a 303, as he was saying, uh, Alibur, I believe, then maybe you shouldn't infer or let people know or try and tell people that, oh, well, mine's better than you because it's the only one that I can use. So it's like, well, no, it's not. You don't need to make it about a comparison about which is better. You can just say, well, I can't afford this round, so I just use this one, and it's been pretty good for me so far. Look at this Beretta model 1951. No, it isn't. It's the Egyptian Hellwan knockoff of a Beretta 1951, and I'm sure Hellwan is a mispronunciation. I buy it. It comes with two magazines. It's a rugged, well-built pistol. It's accurate. It's dependable. If this is the kind of gun you have, then parade the thing. Learn how to shoot it competently, right. and don't let anybody tell you it's inadequate. Guns right. like that will get you through about 95% of the time. And so you don't need to become the champion for whatever obscure thing you have. Just be exactly. glad that you have it. Okay, so the, I think that was the third point, right, that he made there? Less is sometimes better. Don't feel the need to tell somebody it's better than the most expensive or prominent <clears throat> thing on the market. And this is like, i.e., the MMO you play doesn't need to be better than WoW for you to play it or think it's a better game, right? You could just like it more right it's personal reasons and or maybe it's more affordable the just as powerful guy. i've been reluctant to tell this but this seems like the right format to do it the story of how a 22 long rifle is just as powerful as a 30 6 
If I put together all the nonsense I've heard over the years, I can make a case for this. There was the guy who said, showed an SKS, and he said, twenty-two pistol, he's authoritatively guy, the ballistics chart guy, the just as powerful guy, and the talks about guns he doesn't have guy. But I have saved the number one for last. This is by far the... Ooh, that's another good one. Talks about things he doesn't play, doesn't actually own. That's a that's a big one. That's why if you guys wonder why I don't make more videos about um you know maybe particular games in question, it's often because I just don't know enough about them or I don't feel confident enough to talk about those certain things. Like why don't I make reviews? There's not any MMO out there on the market right now that I really, really, really would take a hundred to two hundred hours, which is what you need, in my opinion, to review an MMO and give you guys a review for it. If they existed, maybe I would do reviews on them. But people will still do reviews, obviously, because it's some people's lifeblood. The number one way to tell that you're talking to somebody that does not know very much about guns at all. And that's when somebody says any one of the various different versions of saying, there's no such thing as. And there's different ways you can say it. Like when someone says, I have a Smith & Wesson Model 37. No, Smith & Wesson didn't make a Model 37. Well, that's wording it differently, but he's still telling you, no such thing as. Which, by the way, yes, they did make a Model 37. <sighs> Another way of saying it is when someone says something about a 10mm and you say, no, you mean a 9mm. That's another version of no such thing as. And I got to tell you, that one bit me way back a long time ago. In the What's his last one point? One of my favorites is, long time ago, I was doing an activity with a group of people, and we all drove and met in a certain place, and several of us had cars that we thought were cool. They probably weren't, but we thought they were cool. And the car I had at the time was a 1966 Cadillac Sedan DeVille. And no, no, not the time the lunatic tried to tell me it was a Coupe DeVille, and there's no such thing as a Sedan DeVille, even though it's clearly Sedan DeVille and the body tag on the car. No, not that time, different guy. A couple of guys are checking out my car, and one of them asks what engine it has, and tell them it's a 429. Instantly, somebody tells me, hate to tell you this, Paul, but Chevy never made a 429. So I have to tell him, hate to tell you this, Mike, but it's not a Chevy. Now, Chevrolet and Cadillac are both made by GM, and there can be some similarities, but especially in the 1960s, it's a complete misnomer to think that they're the exact same car. And this guy was desperate to be seen as an expert, but the reality is he knew so little about the subject that he didn't even know how much he didn't know. Huh. So I'll sum up that point as being essentially Dunning-Kruger. Where it's like, you don't know enough to know how little you know. <laughs> I think that's, isn't that the easiest way to describe Dunning-Kruger? And by the way, do they spell it with an E or is it with a U? I, c I can't remember. I know it's, um, I believe the person, okay, it's, it's U. Where does this come from? I'm trying to remember where. Oh, Dunning and Kruger. Okay, so Kruger is the last guy's or the guy's last name. Gotcha. So yeah, it is. That's why it's a dash. It's like Dunning Kruger test, right? But yeah, you don't know enough to know how little you know. And this, if this ever feels like it's a problem that you suffer from, again for my homework boys, my extra credit boys, if you ever feel like this is a, a problem that you suffer from, like you feel like. You're speaking like you know things, but you don't actually know anything. Don't pretend you know things that you don't know. <laughs> That's how you solve this problem. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I go into a conversation with like an economist or I go into a conversation with a scientist, maybe like a microbiologist or microbiologist or, or you know, a lawyer or whatever else, the first thing I tell them is, well, I don't really know how law works, but doesn't this one scenario seem kind of strange? And if the lawyer says, well, I could see how you could say that, but actually, here's the actual uh, information. 
boom, 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 boom. They explained the process to me. And I'm like, oh, that makes more sense, right? But if I was like, if I came up to that, uh, let's say, you know, academic person or, or in this case, a lawyer. And I was like, well, actually, the law works this way. And he's like, no, it doesn't. And here's why it doesn't. And then I'm like, well, I mean, or it might not work that way or the law might not work that way. But um, the government works this certain other way. Actually, no, it doesn't. If you find yourself in those types of situations, it's probably better to just preface things that you say with, well, I'm not really sure, or, well, I haven't put a lot of thought into it, or, well, you know what, it's just my theory, or, eh, it's a conspiracy theory of sorts, or, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't have any evidence to back up this claim, but, right, literally all it takes is, like, a second to preface what you say. That's it. So, the first one, again, for you guys, watching analysis, um, again, if you think that I'm just, you know, or only pointing out the people who do it badly, um, there's people who do it great. Uh, Super Bunny Hop, uh, um obviously i think i do a good job myself um there's i mean there's other people that are related to other things like for example i think three arrows uh, does some interesting content in regards to politics um just again from the perspective that he's willing to actually go into an analysis and explain things um there's of course other uh people um for example is that one nice no was it it's not Reykjavik, it's, um, uh, oh, uh, the Jimquisition, of course. Jim Sterling. Um, yeah, those are the ones that I would say to look into. But anyway, this is like your, your guys' rubric, your extra credit. If you take these five things, as the guy postulated and I both postulate, make sure people aren't making claims that they can't support and don't act as, a, as an expert. There should be a difference between it is... It is versus it should be, right? Is versus ought. Understand that if you don't have any experience, if you have no experience, don't assume to know all the variables or that variables couldn't affect things. Robocost does this. Robocost said that uh, large budget games succeed. Good devs make great games, right? These, these aren't things that you can actually support. Or when he says, for example, um, of course it's going to be a good game because it's expensive, right? He's ignoring any context or any variables in a situation. Less is sometimes better. Uh, don't feel the need to tell somebody it's better than the... Mo okay, I meant that from the perspective of the actual product. Um, he does this with saying that, oh, Robocost says, essentially, because I don't like sub-MMOs, I think they stink, or they suck. That's an example of him prescribing to this, or, or, or I guess violating this law, or whatever you want to call it, rubric. Talks about things he doesn't play or doesn't actually own. Now this one, in Robocast's case, I don't know if it's necessarily true because sometimes we as content creators will use uh, other types of footage, for example, like trailers and maybe even other specific gameplay bugs, which he also did in his video. So it doesn't necessarily mean you can infer that, anything from that. But what I will say is the fact that he didn't even mention that the, the way the game plays 
he never a single time mentioned uh, how the game feels clunky or how driving is one of the worst that it's ever been in a game. I am willing to admit, I am willing to, sorry, not admit, I'm willing to make the claim that he probably didn't really play the game. Or at least enough to form an actual opinion about. Feel free to disagree and go back and rewatch and tell me if you can figure out what his opinion is about the game. Besides, it has a sub fee or whatever else. I ought to be a billionaire, but instead of I have to leave early. Good shame. See you all next time. Thanks, uh, Cups and Lantern, for being uh, helpful and also being uh, responsive in chat. I appreciate it. Don't worry. We're, we're close to ending here. And then Dunning-Kruger, you don't know enough to know how little you know. Um, that's just evident by watching his video, basically. So, I mean, again, we just went through some basic little extra credit here where I took some simple points. These are things you should think about when you're reading analysis or watching it or or consuming any type of analysis. Are they providing evidence for claims they make? If they're making is claims. If they aren't, are they, are they easily outlining to you that it's an ought claim? Meaning it's not actually true, but they wish that it was this way. Are they weighing the consequences and, and possible variables of different situations and have the experience in order to engage in those things? Are they... Um, are they too likely or too willing to downplay other things in order to say that certain things are worse just because you, they don't like that particular thing, right? Like, for example, I can't objectively tell you which business model is better because better is subjective. It, it could be better to... Free-to-play is probably better to people who have less resources. But um, buy-to-play uh, has... Uh, buy-to-play games have trouble with making money unless they include a cash shop and uh, make you buy expansions, a.k.a. Guild Wars 2, which some people don't like that kind of model. Sub-fee is, if it's worth the sub-fee, it's worth the purchase, and it's worth the extra sub, but as soon as it doesn't feel like it's worth it anymore, they will pull that sub. So you have a lot more of a loyal but finicky player base in a way. Well, sorry, finicky is the wrong word because free-to-play would be the most finicky because people download games and then immediately uh, uninstall them. But meaning that... Um, this one, you have the most opportunity to lose, like your, or sorry, sub-based MMOs, you have the most chance to lose um, your core audience, I would say, instead of like just people who are just going to try something out for a little bit and never play it again. Make sure that they, they either have some level of uh, credibility with what they're playing, consuming, or preaching to you. And if you feel like you're questioning theirs, like in the case of Robocost with this APV video, be very hesitant, obviously. And then finally... Somebody seems like they know way too much, but they've displayed how little they know. You could chalk it up to the Dunning-Kruger effect, which plagues many, many, many people. Anyway, I'm really hungry. My stomach's hurting. And as you can tell, I'm getting a little bit tired as well. Also been going for a little bit. So this is the time of the podcast where I say goodbye to you guys. I want to thank you all for stopping by, especially those who've been there since the very beginning. I want to thank Card for taking the time to help me. Um, answer some questions and 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 also take time to ask me some questions and talk about star citizen ulysses of course for coming on again and talking about uh business models or wait no business models and um what's that other thing that we know uh the terminology in regards to reviews sorry that's more adequately what he was talking about uh yeah anyway thank you for stopping by all of that stuff I will have a Rift video out next week. I will be out of town this weekend. And I will be playing Legends of Aria tomorrow. So if you want to follow me on 
or see me in any of those uh, capacities. If you're going to PAX Unplugged, um, I'd, I'd welcome uh, you guys hanging out with me. Um, I'll probably be working the first day on Friday, but I will be recording some footage and some skits and some cool stuff that you guys will get to see next month. So lots, lots planned. And for those, of course, who stayed to the very end for the extra credit, what I can tell you is that we are thinking about, not thinking about, sorry, we're scaling up to start doing bigger production things. And when I say bigger production, I'll leave you with one word, documentaries. See you later, guys.